Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap here on the 8th of July of 2020. I am Nick. That is Chris. No more fireworks. Ever. Ever. <laughs> I had ever s- again. I had someone launching fireworks on Monday night. And I was like, I don't... Did you was like the seventy five percent off deal so good that you were like, well, I can't not fire these off today. Well, apparently they couldn't. <laughs> they could do that though. They just they were just like they were just like, oh, I don't know. You know, I was like, I'm sick of shooting off fireworks. You know, it's like I, they might as well just you know not use all of them. And then you just like get in to get a craving two days later. It's like, oh, I just really want to blow something up. <laughs> there was a moment. So I went to a, a buddy's house. Uh, he lives like within walking distance um, and we bring the dog over when we go so I was bringing Scotia back home like walking her and it was pretty dark out but as I was walking home you could just see like a thick layer of smoke traveling <laughs> over the air above us and you're like yep yeah. that's 4th of July night my dad's dog um, does not get scared of fireworks she gets excited by them and like tries to chase them <laughs> Uh, when they go off, which is uh, worse in a lot of ways yeah. than, <laughs> than having a dog scared yeah. of fireworks. That's very I true. Guess if, I mean, keep the dog inside, I guess, when the fireworks are going off and then it's fine. But uh, yeah, that like literally he he has said like, yeah, if I were to let her get loose, then she would probably just stick her nose into the Roman candle launcher and then she wouldn't do it ever again. So, <laughs> But you can't take that risk. All right. All you, everyone else in the world who didn't have to deal with fireworks going off this weekend, welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. We have manga to talk about today. We have a lot of manga to talk about today. Yeah, we do. I guess we'll just do it then. All right, let's, 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 let's take it easy. Let's go in slow. Slow. Yeah. No, nice, easy. Mm Mm-hmm. Casual chapter. No action or stakes whatsoever to start with. Nope. And uh, followed up with a breezy, uh, by my quick calculation, 15 other series. <laughs> <laughs> my Hero Academia. Chapter number 277. Who? 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 That doesn't work without an audience. You just sound stupid no, and annoying. You have a third person there, too. What? I'm just going to start annoying wrestling chants no one likes. What? And then. We are awesome. <laughs> You, then you start talking for a bit, and like you, you start to get to some momentum, and I would just go, Husky Harris, dude, 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 Husky Harris. I have no patience. <laughs> Is there a greater moment in performer annoyed at audience than Cesaro jumping into the crowd to rip up the beach ball? <laughs> Amazing. It was fucking beautiful. I guess there was the one time when... Uh, Undertaker was trying to cut a promo and they wouldn't stop what chanting him. So he was like, Hey, if you sleep with your sister, say what? And then, what? Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's what? <laughs> Boo! It's like, you got got by him. I don't. <laughs> well, and they did it too. And he like gives this like disappointed dad shake of his head. It's like, I can't fucking just people, whatever, do him a promo. <laughs> uh, honestly, th- I mean, there are occasional wrestling chants that, <clears throat> that are actually beautifully timed. Like, um, there was when Miz was uh, feuding with Ziggler a couple of years ago over the Intercontinental Championship. And Miz was trying to be like, oh, you know, you can't beat me or anything like that. And they he, he like beat him uh, at a pay-per-view. And then 
afterwards was like, but you know what, Dolph, I've got something for you here. Here, I've I've brought you out here to give you this, this participation award. And the crowd starts going, you deserve this. It's the ultimate (laughs) O's. Oof. Anyway. Deku's headbutting Shigaraki, Chris. Yep, that's what's happening. Uh, I, I actually, maybe he's not headbutting him. That there never seems to be an actual con- collision. But yes, defying Gran Torino's order that they should stay in safety and stuff, Deku and Bakugo have jumped into the fray trying to fight Shigaraki, and now there's just like this giant, like five or six on one fight at this point. I I'll honestly keep on losing track of all the people involved and directly trying to to uh, take him down. But they're trying to fight. Deku justifies his decision by shouting out that the worst case for them is to lose Aizawa. But, of course, there's a lot of emotional stakes beyond that of, you know, the teacher who's washed over us. But also, yeah, we need the guy to stop Shigaraki from, (laughs) you know, just blowing us all up immediately. He means a lot. He means a lot to me. He's also the only one who can stop him. So that's also a factor in all of this. I'm just going to emphasize the emotional element. More than the tactical one. Yeah, because look, I mean, when it comes down to it, he's a great guy. You know, he's a great teacher. Uh, we're fucked without him. Not emotionally. Uh, in every other way, we're completely hosed if he goes down. But I mean, if he dies in front of us, maybe we will be kind of emotionally fucked after that. That's yeah. like traumatizing. I've never seen someone die. Have you seen someone die? That would be crazy. But also, I mean, like we may not live very long to live to forget it because we will also be uh, fucked in yeah. this so that's the more uh, oppressive concern i'll worry about the therapy after this is done yeah then then it matters uh so bakugo tries to get involved in in the fight he uses ap machine gun uh-huh. uh which is a seemingly updated version of the ap shot that he demonstrated like 200 chapters ago what's so, ap stand for armor penetrating like an ah, armor penetrating. right 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 uh it was way back when they were working on um, signature moves that he first demonstrated it. So this seems to be an update. But anyway, he tries to use this no effect on Shigaraki. Uh, Deku tries to use his black tendril thing uh, to stop Shigaraki, and he just gets completely he just gets yanked forward. Doesn't doesn't stop Shigaraki in the slightest, and he starts coming in towards Bakugo. And just because he's a dick, he goes, "Sorry, you're not on my radar anymore." <laughs> Oh, call back. <laughs> but before Bakugo can get his head punched off, Endeavor comes in, uh, knocks Shigaraki away. He demands to know where Todoroki is. And Deku's like, we're, it's just the two of us here. So Endeavor's like, oh, I hope my son's not dead. <laughs> anyway, let's fight this guy. I'll deal with the, I'll deal with the emotional scars later. <laughs> <laughs> like they could easily just be like, I'm pretty sure he's OK. But they're like, no, he'll fight better if we tell him bad things. <laughs> Oh, uh, man, you're... And before he died, he said, fuck you, Dad. <laughs> Last I saw him, I think he was turning to dust. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he was like, oh, man, I can't believe I'm turning to dust. Fuck you, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> he looked for the uh, closest father figure around him, which obviously wasn't you because you've never been there in his life, <laughs> and uh, told him that he was like, I don't want to go. And then he, t- he turned to dust and disappeared, I think. That's the last I saw. I don't know. You mentioned him. It was during the middle of a rescue operation, too, so I'm pretty sure it was some random stranger he was trying to save. <laughs> it was actually a mannequin, but that's how that's how lacking he is in experience with the father figure, is things that are inhuman to him seem just as nurturing as, as his actual like, mysterious father figure. 
<laughs> it's like <laughs> you're like uh, the way that the protagonist of a silent voice sees people in the next <laughs> So uh, a little bit of a break of the action happens and never basically says like um, we've got to take this guy down essentially. Uh, so whatever, no time to convince you guys to go away. Let's take this guy down. Uh, he starts issuing instructions to everyone present. And all of a sudden, Shigaraki pauses because a fucking voice in his head starts going, acquire one for all, acquire one for all. And Shigaraki starts talk- talking a bit like all for one. You know, he says over to Deku, you know, your, your little brother, um, which shocks Deku and shocks Shigaraki because like, wait a minute, that's not that's not me. What am I talking? What the fuck am I talking about? Uh, Endeavor doesn't hesitate because he's Endeavor. He just starts launching fire at him and he's trying to dodge while he's having this kind of moment of existential crisis. There's a typo in the translation here that really bothers me because it's the wrong form of your. Uh, and pretty quickly, Shigaraki just gets past this whole thing. He's just immediately like, hey, this is my body. This is my power. You don't get to be some voice who gets to whisper things to me. All right. Yeah, I, I, I owe you some some I'm grateful, but I'm not you. OK, I'm not trying to be you all for one. I'm trying to be greater than you. And uh, in his mind, as there's like this kind of uh, stand, let's just call it of all for one kind of mimicking Shigaraki's movements inside his mind palace. Uh, he puts a hand to his face and the for- silhouette behind him disintegrates the same way that uh, his family did several chapters ago. So, yeah, that was quick. Shigaraki got over got over that whole thing. Nope, not doing this. Don't have to deal with that anymore. <laughs> um, Gran Torino jumps in. Gran Torino has a speech for this is like a such a like a an X-Men thing. You know, it's like we're we're in the middle of punching each other, but we have speeches to get to deliver to each other. Uh, so he, of course, brings up the fact that, you know, him being here is trampling on, Shimu, on Nanashimura's memory. Shigaraki has no idea what the fuck he's talking about because Alpha One never clued him in as to what the hell that was all about. Um, and so. He's just like, yeah, gotta get rid of you because your very existence is making people suffer. Uh, Shigaraki looks around at all the people come, coming charging towards him. He just knocks people away, dashes past Endeavor, comes diving in towards Deku, who's all on his own. He's got this big triumphant grin in his face. And Bakugo, meanwhile, is flying overhead. And, he's thinking, and he just says, oh, so I'm not on your radar, huh? Well, he was just the bait, and he unleashes the uh, pin from his grenade gauntlet and launches the full power of, it, of his explosion right on top of Shigaraki. And Endeavor comes in for the follow-up and seemingly disintegrates Shigaraki. I'm sure the fight's over. That's yep. definitely all I want. That's how it ends. <laughs> well, Chris, you would think that on a big note like that, it's like, yeah, okay, that's the end of the chapter. No! <laughs> There's more! There was another note to end on for some reason. Uh, I mean, it's not a bad come down from that. I think that, you know, like Endeavor seemingly disintegrating Shigaraki should have been the ending note. But then we go to the next page and oh, Mount Lady and Gigantamaki are having a giant sumo match. OK, that's pretty cool. I'll take that, too. That's where we where we end the chapter. So action, 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 heavy chapter. Uh, but a lot of good shit in this. So, I mean, there's not really a whole there was some 
character stuff that was very quickly raced past. Um, but I think it was kind of one of those things that you see. I've seen, I mean, we've seen Horikoshi do this uh, before too, where it's just like, Hey, here's a thing that like some people have like fan theories about. And then he addresses them and immediately resolves them and moves past them. So it's like, no, this is the story that I've got to tell. So I'm going to you know address this and then just move on. Yeah. And- I, it's also something that, I, I, that's the right amount of time, I think, to kind of spend on this moment of of Shigaraki kind of being like, oh, yeah, I'm not in it for your shit anymore, bud. Like, I'm in it for what I'm into now, and I don't really give a fuck about one for all. So, sorry, Chief. Um, that's a moment that an anime, obviously, when they get to that point, can spend, you know, ten minutes on, and the rest of the chapter could just be the action, or the, or the rest of the episode could be the action points, and maybe it'll feel a bit more appropriate, but I, I I perfectly thought that was, like, the same, like, the right amount of time to give that moment. Well, and of course, if he is ignoring the voice in his head that's telling him to acquire uh, one for all, then we, of course, also know that he still has the quirk racing bullets. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we saw him pick them up when he first revived. So that could be what he's aiming for in this fight instead of what uh, All for One wants. And um, we'll see. I do want to make an observation that I did not actually realize until literally just now as we were going through the chapter. Uh, Gigantomachia has several members of the League riding around on his back. So Mr. Compress is up there. It looks like Toga's up there. Dobby's up there. Um, And I think that's... uh, What's his face? The... um, the puppet, the puppeteer guy. Yeah, the so. siphon or whatever, something stupid like that. Um, I just, I the the moment I saw Mount Lady, I was like, all right, you, you guys lost your chance with this. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah, sorry, I, can, I don't. I don't care about her. <laughs> you had, it's, a re- it's a really awesome two page spread, though. I love yeah. her hunkering down, pressing. Like, they're like you know, offensive and defensive linemen pushing against each other. She's got the big strained look on her face, and meanwhile, Gigantomachi is just almost seems delighted to be doing what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a cool shot. Yeah, but yeah, poor Mount Lady. I'm just gonna say that in advance. <laughs> you don't think she's gonna win? <laughs> I just got. I just get a feeling. <laughs> now, ninja law. now, how funny would it be if next chapter? Because obviously she's not going to win. Is her getting tossed aside? But she goes through a building butt first, and everybody inside's really excited because they all have giantess hey, fetishes. Bye. They're like, "I love butts, giant butts." <laughs> so we can we can kind of keep to the level that Mount Lady has always been at, where she's kind of just this fetish character. That was a really weird thing because, like. That happens in the anime so much more immediately than it happened in the manga. Like if you if you compare chapter one to episode one, because she's one of the first heroes that shows up Mm. in the series. There's the bit where she, you know, defeats the giant uh, villain. Um, When they do that in the anime, she's like making puns about her butt. And there are really, really creepy photographers being like, yes, yes, she's so sexy. It's like, (laughs) this was... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right <laughs> hey you got to get your audience all right yes but yeah anywho let us move on to actage yeah it's, yeah it's 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 scene 119 actresses uh we are introduced to some characters that we don't know the names of <laughs> uh dinglebop and chaz Wazzle. Okay, 
I'm just going to assume that Chaz Wazzle is the lady. Um, wow. So Chaz Wazzle, Obviously. Chaz Wazzle says to Dingle Bob, oh, yeah, look, you know, look. Uh, Kiyonagi is popular. Rentamaki is involved in this. This guy is exciting to watch. And, and Dinglebop is like, as if Rentamaki weren't enough, there's also Meino from Stars and Mami Yakushiji. That's quite a combo. Plus Yonagi. I hope it all goes down smoothly. Now, you would think that that's going to um, lead into, like, you know, chaos or something like that. But then it's just, you know, kind of brings up that, oh, yeah, Kay picked the fight with Mami last chapter. I mean, it's... Not nearly as whatever. Um, Two-page spread uh, for the t- for the title page spread is uh, Kay in all of her various roles that she's portrayed. It's a cool two-page spread. I like it. There isn't uh Is there a Serjinko one? I don't remember that, what that is. The one where she does the music video where she's like running around Serjinko or whatever, Serjinko, whatever the name of the city is. I think that's the one with her with her phone. Or maybe that's... The last one's the one with her. It looks like chocolate, so I assume that's the chocolate oh, roll. that's the one that she was doing in Shinjuku, addition to the three whatever one. It is. Uh, If we assume that they're in order... It looks like it's in order, so it, I'm guessing that's the one that's hiding behind uh, the Galactic Railroad per, uh, character, but... Right. I can't remember exactly how she was dressed. I mean, the one uh, next to uh, her cooking... Uh, is her in the extra role. Yeah. And then one in front of that is her in the dead Island role. So I guess that that timing of that lines up with her in the black, uh, school uniform, but that might also be her school project. It might be. The, maybe they just didn't, the, maybe they just didn't consider it that big. I just, I was like, that seems like two commercial roles. There would be a weird yeah. one to omit, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It's a cool two base spread. I like it. Yeah. I do dig it. Uh, so we just kind of get a recap of, oh yeah, what happened at the meeting. Uh, they're kind of passing this on to Yuki and Smith. Uh, and Sasuke is more on, on Kay's side now. Uh, now that she's had time to reflect on what Kay has done, uh, in order to stand up for her and stuff. Um, they bring up more about who Mamiyaka Shiji is, uh, how important she is and stuff like that. Um, and then Satsuki says, yeah, but all the movies she's in were old, so I haven't seen them. She is a kid. What do you know? You know so. I, I know just what you mean. I, I How could I have had time to see the Terminator movies? Most of them, I think, came out before I was born, question mark? Uh, not most of them anymore. Well, yeah, not most of them now. Uh, it was amusing because uh, I, I shared that list with my cousin, the list of movies that I'm trying to see throughout <laughs> this year. And... Uh, been doing a Twitter thread about it. Yeah, I haven't done it for a while. I've 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 paused a couple of the threads that I was doing just because I'm trying to not clog up airwaves the during a time where there feels like there's much more important stuff kind of going on. Yeah, um, like Nick Star Trek. Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to pull more attention towards that. That's the the, the instance we're referring to. Uh, but in my mind, uh, so on the list, I had L.A. Confidential on there. And uh, my mom, it's probably my mom's favorite movie. When that movie came out, because she's a huge Kim Basinger fan, loves her. When that movie came out, I am not exaggerating. I think she saw it in theaters 16 times. And she would constantly bring my older siblings. I was too young to go. But if you went to go see it with her, you'd get the next day off of school. She just loved seeing that movie. So it's on my list. I've never seen it. And I sent that list to my cousin, who is notoriously difficult to get a hold of. 
And when I sent him that list, he's like, you haven't seen LA Confidential? I was like, yeah, I just, I, I wasn't old enough to see it back then. He had to like call me up to be like, that's horseshit. You weren't old enough, but you've had like seven years, like like 12 years since that movie came out and you haven't seen it since then. I was like, I, I just haven't seen it. I don't know what you want me to do. I mean, there was the running gag for quite a while that you you did not watch movies. And yeah. then, you know, of course, that kind of became irrelevant because you, like, started to go see movies as they came out. So. Yeah, and then I started <laughs> seeing a movie once a week. And now, I like, yeah. movies are something I'm, like, fervently passionate about. By the way, saw uh, the new Jumanji. Pretty good. Uh, the second one. Yeah, Sonic the Hedgehog. It's pretty good. Detective Pikachu. It's okay. And uh, Harley Quinn. That was uh, that was a really good first two thirds. It was a really good first okay. two thirds. Um, last third is uh, you know it's a superhero movie, so gotcha. <laughs> a lot of them don't end strong, do they? There, there's there's such great practical effects, and then there's a visual like a panning shot of like a evil Joker hideout that you could tell was 100% CGI, and you're just like ah. Here's where the movie gets less good. <laughs> what if we just replace the end of all superhero movies with the end of Spider-Man Far From Home? <laughs> just, Honestly, just, take the, yeah. just take the good part of that movie and put them in all, <laughs> put in all the other superhero movies. If not that, then just uh, film something where a bunch of characters, a bunch of like uh, silhouettes, like Mr. Game and Watches chase an object. <laughs> and you could just use it in every movie and save so much money. <laughs> Just like uh, it's like when artists do uh, your character here shots. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so they the three actresses decide they need to make a strong battle plan. They they need to you know nail this role of portraying Manami Yakushiji. And so Satsuki decides to do this in illustration form because she's like, first, I'll play my part perfectly. And then Mami Yakushiji will see that be deeply moved. And then she'll recognize Arisa for following me, for finding me. And the two of them will make up. And then the iconic actor will support me. And I become an iconic actor. It's perfect. And Ikei is like, this is an amazing plan. (laughs) (laughs) But then they also make the observation of like, oh, you're actually pretty good at art for an eight year old. (laughs) Um, so Ren Tamaki is like, yeah, okay, fucking let's do it. Sure. Uh, Smith is like, this sounds a little weird, but okay. Then they're like, okay, well, here's the problem though. Three of us need to play the same person. And all three of us are, you know, different ages. We come from different generational backgrounds. So how are we going to do this? You know, and Ren Tamaki equates it to if all three of us just go about our own separate ways, it'll be like, we're trying to throw a ball into an invisible goal. If you say so. (laughs) Uh, So Satsuki comes up with the idea of what if we get plastic surgery to make our faces the same? And Kay's like, well, let's save that. (laughs) I do kind of like that even Kay's like, uh, let's wait on that one for a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But then they're like, okay, well, we... Kay says, if we have no goal, we need to create one. So the way that you play Manami, that will become our goal. That's how we'll orient ourselves. And then all of us will basically go along the, the trajectory as you to as you begin it. Um, so if your portrayal is off, then the rest of us are going to miss the mark as well. Uh, Yuki brings up the point of like, well, 
Rentamaki is the lead. Shouldn't you guys base your character on hers? And Rentamaki is like, no, I mean, we don't have to do it that way. And that's basically it. <laughs> <laughs> She's not wrong. <laughs> it's like, no, we don't have to. Um, but they also bring up the point of, hey, well, you know, if we're going to be doing this, then that's putting a lot of responsibility on you, Satsuki. Are you okay with that? And she thinks about it, and she's like, yes. So they're like, okay. Um, and Yuki is curious, like, what is Ren Tamaki up to? And it's like, I don't know. She seems like she does a lot of stuff for shits and giggles. I mean, did you... <laughs> You were there with Kay when she was challenging people to strip rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> yeah. so. You really can't be like the master plan here. So they finish up their little lunch meeting. Uh, Smith drives Satsuki home and Satsuki has a little bit of a flashback as she's riding in the car, thinking about when she was, you know, just starting off as an actress. There was you know, all these people like, oh, you're so good. You're going to be a great actor one day. And, and oh, look at you. And they're all kind of like looking down at her. And she says, hey, Smith, those two see me as an actor. They don't see me as a child actor. They see me as an actor. And then she gets on a V and just like gets a little bit like sort of emotional yeah. about it. I like that um, moment a lot, actually. That's that's a, a, a sincerely a sweet of, moment. Yeah, this is a great chapter overall for Satsuki. There's a little bit of, you know, her being a kid with the drawings and with her making weird ideas uh, and then there's, you know, the insight of like, oh, well, these two see me as like not a, some tag along kid or someone who needs to be baby. They see me as like a co-worker and some a peer of theirs. So she says, I don't care about Mami Yakushiji. I care about disappointing those two. So I, I'm going to do it. So good stuff. Yeah. They travel to Kamakura uh, to do their whole living together thing. Uh, Satsi sees like, oh, the ocean, water, I'll bet it tastes nasty, and I won't want to come here after spending a day here. And that was just me. Never mind. So, <laughs> uh, so she says like, oh, here's what, I, here's what I learned. Manami couldn't swim, so I'm not going to swim either. That way I'll be closer to her. And I've been studying. See, her mother was a narrator for old silent movies, so she would tell the story. And watching her work probably inspired Manami to become an actor. Um, and they, you know, bring up some more of, of, about her history and stuff. And Sasuke's like, yeah, she went to the Shokiku movie theater every day. It was probably her way of trying to connect to her mother. And she must have passed by this scene, this water every day on her way down to the theater. And they kind of, you know, reflect on this with the wind blows through their hair and stuff. And Kay says, I mean, her house was in North Kamakura and the theater was inland. So she wouldn't have gone near the beach at all. <laughs> <laughs> It's a funny joke. Yeah. But it leads to a serious point because Sasuke's like, well, I was just trying to, you know, create the energy. And Kay says, well, no, you can use your imagination for parts that you don't know, but we're trying to be accurate to the real person. So we're going to use the information that we know and be as accurate to it as possible. And then we're going to use our imagination to fill in the gaps. And Sasuke kind of like takes out a notebook and like writes this down. And then she closes it and is like, yeah, I was just testing you. Just... <laughs> All right. So um, they get to the house where they're going to live. And that's basically it. They, they just kind of, you know, ex exchange a few, you know, random throwaway lines after that. They're going forward with their plan to live together now. So quite liked this chapter. It was a nice character building chapter, uh, mostly for Satsuki, but also for developing just overall this relationship between the three actresses. Yeah. No, I, I I really like this chapter. I really like that moment with Satsuki where she she feels 
acknowledged by adults for her ability and not for her ability because she's a child, like on yeah, that same so scale. Good. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's a very nice thing. So I, I really enjoyed that. And it was kind of very humanizing for her. And the first time that she felt like a proper child actress, really, as opposed to just like, I am, I'm the expert. You know, it was so, yeah. Yeah. It was good. I liked it. It was a good chapter. All right, Nick, let's talk about Eden Zero, though. Chapter 101. Chris. What? Isn't Chainsaw Man X? No, Chainsaw Man's after act, uh, Eden Zero. Is it? Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll trust in your judgment. Yeah. You're the one who said this, so I was... Yeah, yeah right. It's after Eden Zero. That way there's there's something before we immediately move into seven new series that oftentimes aren't great. So uh, Okay, that was your logic. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I got so, it. So, Eden Zero, Chapter 101, Singularity, with Pino's analysis on question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. I think I'm trying to remember this person, but I can't blurble, blurble, blurble. Um, this is cute. I like this. Yeah, it's kind of horrifying in a way. It is, but yeah. it's yeah, it's nice that they did one for him as well. So it's a, it's a way of dealing with it, and you know the timing of it matches up in such a way that you know you only learned oh they can't remember him like a chapter ago. So, yeah. <laughs> so we cut over to the cl- the planet Grand Bell where Shiki's family and world was from, and the Eden Zero has landed there, and everyone's running around. Pina's like, oh, this world's so beautiful. I'm going to record all the beautiful sights of Master's home planet. And Rebecca's she like... She falls down a hole. Yeah. Nobody finds her. He's <laughs> like, watch out for the snake scorpion pits. Like, what? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Snake scorpion spiders. I should have been more clear. They're like, it was a genetic experience to make the most horrifying monster. So... They, they honestly might have spliced a couple things else in there since I've left. Yeah, there's the honey badger in there now. It's just, oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Rebecca's like, hey, do you think you're going to be OK? And she's like, ah, don't worry about it. They were just uh, they were affected by a virus. So, you know, if they still have the virus, just don't beat them up. I mean, if they are evil, then we'll just run away. So whatever. Uh, there's a whole little bit about like the shining stars were built here, but witch and sister aren't coming along. Hermit's here to kind of just give that away, and they're like, "Yeah, we weren't. We were built here, but that's like we all went out looking for mother, found Shiki somewhere, and then came back. But I don't know what happened. We have no memories of that point. It seems like Ziggy erased them for some reason, or the Demon Lord, I guess is the term they call him." It seems to be a very hero way of addressing that kind of thing in like, a, you know, you'd think that this would have come up before kind mm-hmm. of way, but he is only bothered to bring it up now because now or in the near future is when it's going to be relevant. I thought so. they have brought this up before. I thought we did kind of know that they don't have memories. A lot of their stuff was kind of locked away based on the fact that they were kind of all put aside. I believe you're correct, but I think that all of the details of Hermit's explanation hadn't been shared until now. It so. very well might be. Um, I could be wrong about that. There's a lot of Eden Zero that I don't remember 100% of. Yeah. So. Uh, so they get to the town, and, uh, well, all the robots aren't doing so hot. <laughs> they don't have the virus anymore, Chris. <laughs> they're not fighting. They're not fighting anybody, but uh, they're all depowered, all of them, including Michael. So uh, it seems that their engines have been cut and Hermit does a little scan on them and is like, yeah, they they dried up out of power, but they weren't infected with the virus. And this is a and I can tell that I guess. 
Well, I guess you could tell based off of like the programming in there. Like everything seems like it should have been operational until the end. I don't know how computers work. I remember one time for a uh, uh, future business leaders leaders of America event I went into, we had to do. Uh, I don't know how I got roped into it. I was doing like a uh, a coding quiz, and they asked me to do binary, and it was just me sitting there being like, I don't want to. Why is there so many zeros? <laughs> no idea oh man uh that's why i'm not a future business leader of america everybody well it's not it's why you're not a programmer i think very specifically <laughs> well also they sh- i was a freshman i don't know why they threw me into that event he's coding yeah uh so anyway cheeky's very upset because he he, he was like what well, why are all my friends dead basically uh, Hermit pulls up a video file of Ziggy basically saying to everybody, like, hey, we're only going to last a couple more years, so before I'm dead, help Shiki, you know, reach the world. And I guess this is then after Shiki's gone, or not Shiki, Ziggy has died, because he was, he, well, not dead, but dormant, whatever. He was the one that wasn't active, I think, during everything that happened in the first chapter mm-hmm. they explain everything about how the robot basically we already knew this stuff we knew that the robots weren't actually evil that they were we, just faking it to chase Shiki off basically and i we got the explanation in like chapter one i yeah. think at the end so i thought that in my mind i was like did we also get across the idea that it wasn't really a virus that Shiki picked up on but he has it this is all news breaking for him so uh we we cover all that basically, and Cheeky's very sad, and uh, we see some of the other people being like, "Well, I guess if the machines acted like villains to to leave the planet, you know, then they would have just naturally died after all this." So it's it's very sad, but then shunk, and someone starts walking towards Cheeky, and it is Ziggy the Demon Lord. And Chicky's like, Grandpa, and everyone's like, holy shit, Ziggy, my master, oh my god, this is crazy, we thought you were dead. And he's like, I'm gonna gravity you, and he starts gravity. <laughs> he starts, like, you know, shooting them down to the ground, breaking the floor with gravity. Everyone's like, what's happening, why are you doing this, this is crazy intense gravity, stop. And Ziggy's just like, I was wrong, Shiki. What ugly, foolish creatures these humans are. I never should have raised you or sent you into the sky. And Hermit gives this big speech about like, no, I've learned not all humans are evil. They're just like robots. They have diversity. And she, Ziggy's like, oh, oh, of course. The good humans are the ones I can use. And then Eden's one flies into view with a giant two-page spread. And Ziggy says, now is the age of mechanical life forms. We will rule over all humankind. And the chapter ends with Ziggy looking to Pino and saying, come, you belong with us. Bum, bum, bum. There's a lot of sudden developments in this chapter. Very Um, sudden. But, I mean... I like the idea of what's going on here in theory. And I think that it's cool that in chapter 101, we go back to the beginning and we have this, you know, Shiki taking in once, I think once again, but taking in the consequences of what his family did for him. Uh, But then you immediately follow up on that emotional revelation with, oh shit, this guy who actually arranged for all this to help Shiki out. What the hell? He's turned evil and he's turning against them. What the hell is going on? Uh, but 
this is something that's coming very quickly. I know we, of course, just learned about Eden's one in the last chapter. And all of a sudden, oh, it's here. We're dealing with this, I guess, right now. Um, although we did know that it would, they were on their way to Grand Bell. Yeah. But I guess we'll see where this is going. So what the yeah is it's, there like something turning ziggy evil is this a test what's going on so yeah there's 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 got to be something behind this because i just i don't trust hero enough and there's not enough clues to the story to suggest like oh well, ziggy was kind of insidious all along like i guess he's locked memories away but literally all the scenes we've ever seen of him have been very nurturing towards shiki mm-hmm. and the idea of like we're gonna all go together and family and yada yada he needs friends etc so the idea that he was like secretly evil the whole time doesn't really gel with me but i'm gonna wait and see my mind because in my mind i'm just like it, it is it some kind of shapeshifter or is it some kind of like evil villain taking in the place of Ziggy or something like that? But since we've also opened up the door to alternate realities and things like that, who knows? Maybe, I mean, the cat jumper shouldn't have affected it, but we've already established that it seems like, uh, Oh God, I forgot the captain's name already, but he seems to have something kind of similar. Like, he was manipulated by the time stream in some way, and then they also yeah. referenced that there's probably someone with another time power out there. So, there's a lot of stuff kind of going on. Yeah. Connor. There might, yeah, there might be some weird complications that have uh, come about that we are going to have to learn about in the future. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I want to say that uh, maybe uh, Ziggy sends Shiki off on his way. And then, like, you know, a month or so later, he, you know, he's, he's like following uh, Eden Zero, the series. He gets to the part with, like, <laughs> where Rebecca's sold into slavery and there's the women being turned into statues. It, it, it was a mistake to send him to the stars. <laughs> they get to the, the big heroic climax of the fucking the one arc and they were like, well, send Lady Kuseki off to be a sex slave for the rest of your life. You're like, hold on a moment. <laughs> oh. He's like, oh, well, that's fucked up. God damn it, Shiki. Oh, come you on. Now. Come on. All right. Chainsaw Man. <laughs> Chapter 76. Don't open it. So last time we had the uh, thoughts mm. on the uh, attack of the gun devil. Um, This chapter... Much less like, oh, that hits home concern because it's more like a fucking hurricane of bullets is rampaging through Japan. It's a little bit more difficult to actually equate this to things that happen. Uh, But anyway, the gun devil is going for Makima and is just is going through everything in the way in the meantime, like. Buildings are being shredded. Uh, names get added to the list and add to the list and add to the list. And we keep on getting the narration of incidents as they are occurring. The gun devil advances towards Makima. Makima sights the gun devil at a distance of 500 kilometers. More deaths being added to the list. More deaths being added to the list. Uh, the gun devil traveling so quickly down the street that people aren't even actually reacting in time before suddenly <laughs> things are being leveled. This is a weird detail. Gun devil ability activation, ability to fire a bullet through the heart of every living thing born in the months of January, February, March, 
May, June, August, September, November, or December. Damn it. Ah, it got me. Yeah. So I'm alive. Oh. Uh, All right. You're going to do the podcast without me. That gun devil took me down. This is an, I mean, it's an odd detail, and we don't yet get an explanation for why it's so distinguishing in this way. I assume it's just like weirdly specific. Weird devil stuff. Yeah. yeah. And we, of course, get this montage of people with, you know, like blood spatters coming out through their chests and stuff. I would have liked it if because, you know, there's like a one in four chance that it won't shoot you in the heart. If there's just like one person just kind of like standing like, oh, what's going on <laughs> in the middle of all these death reactions? 3.18 and 25 seconds p.m., the gun st- devil stops advancing. This is all stuff, by the way, the, the last several pages that happened in, this, in the span of three seconds. Like it, it rampaging across the nation and Makima spotting it kilometers away. And now the gun devil has stopped in the middle of a freaking forest after blowing up basically all the cities in its way. And so the gun devil stops and activates his ability gunfire towards Makima. And this time we only get about 10 deaths because it's out in the wilderness. And there's just kind of people like on, on the highway going through the mountains. that are watching stuff happening. One second later, Makima prepares for ability activation. More people die. Makima's 29th recorded death as a bullet hole appears in her forehead. So she dies. She officially dies. It is said that she has a recorded death. Some of her brain matter comes out of her head, forms a halo for her. And that's all that happens. She wakes. She basically wakes up from dying immediately after that. Cool. 3-18-27. More people are dead. I guess the devil, I guess the gun devil's bullets got them. I don't know. Makima activates her abilities. Use of the following abilities. Yutaro and Kurose, Yutaro Kurose and Michigo Tendo's Antimortem Devil Contract Punishment Devil. Akane Sawatori's Antimortem Devil Contract Snake Devil. Aki Hayakawa's Antimortem Devil Contract Future Devil. The Angel Devil. The Spider Devil. And all the named people are there with her, with chains linking from their chests to her waist or her belly button, roughly. So even people who have died are there because Kurose is dead. Yeah. So, okay. Not really sure exactly what's going on here. But she's using all of these these contracts that they have or the devil powers 318 and 28 seconds. Oh dear. <laughs> I do like something the giant monster made of machine guns looking up and being like, oh. <laughs> oh. I would love to get like more of a of a shot of what's going on through this portal that opens over its head. Because we just see this hole appear in the sky with like blood dripping around the rim. And there are arms and heads and figures coming through the arms and heads that are carrying weapons. And the arms and heads that they're coming through are shaped like a rib cage. And like the things holding weapons are like the guts. It's a really cool visual. Mm. Cut to <laughs> Denji is in his apartment, powers asleep. So uh, 
Denji, you know, here is the uh, doorbell ring. So he's like, oh, Aki's home. So he starts to go to the door. He starts to reach for the knob and he hears the voice. And the voice says, don't open it. In the same voice that he's been hearing in his dreams from the door he sees in his dreams. And Denji freezes with his hand right in front of the doorknob as the doorbell keeps going off. Well, shit. <laughs> what the fuck happened? <laughs> I'm not even going to try to sit here and act like I know. I have no idea. I'm along for the ride. I just like how very tense the end of this chapter is with the don't open the door and the doorbell just ringing over and over again. I wonder if, because as you said, this is the phrase that's been repeated to Denji for a very long time now. Is this specifically what it meant? Because in my mind, I always thought it was like, oh, there's something darker inside of you. Don't open yeah, that don't door. Don't access the power. Or yeah. is or is or is he going to open this fucking door and it's going to be fucking Makima or something like that? Or, or I, like I don't I don't know. I have no idea what could possibly yeah. happen here. But uh, no, not Denji. Well, Aki had the contract with the future devil saying it's like, oh, yeah, Denji goes to Rampage and kills you and Maki and uh, power. And it's like, is that going to be because like Makima takes control of them and then he yeah. has to kill them. And so there's all this stuff, all this information that we've learned building up and building up and things escalating very quickly over the course of the past four chapters. Uh, so, yeah, crazy. And I have no idea I mean, I get the impression Makima won. But that's, that's just. I would assume a guess. if you activate seven ults, you should win the team fight. Like, come on. <laughs> if you didn't, then you just you, someone fucked up. It's like, I don't get it. Yasuo got his ult off multiple times. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> Damn this tank meta. Oh god, I'm so glad I haven't I haven't played that in years. <laughs> it's freeing to not care. <laughs> I, the other, like, a couple weeks ago, I just went to the site to see the new champions, and it was mm-hmm. weird to be like, there's like 17 characters, and I don't know any of them. I don't know anything you guys do. You start, you know, seeing, like, fan art and fan lore discussion and stuff. It's like, who are you talking about? Well, did you ever, did you ever see the K-pop video that they did? Kata? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so when, when I watched that, the entire time, I was like... Ah, oh, cool. I know all these characters. Akali and uh, Fiora. Until I, well, it was it was Akali, uh, Evelyn, Evelyn. um, uh, Ari, and then Ari. I thought it was Aurelia. I found out later yeah. that's Re- Rexai, and I was like, or not, not Rexai, Rexai. Uh, Kaisei. And I thought it was right. Re- I was like, isn't Rexai a monster? Because I knew there was like a, a, a female void monster. Yeah. And then I didn't realize they made a sexy female void monster. I was right, like, right. oh, it's her. Didn't know who it was, though. I was like, no, yeah. ah, this is weird. Yeah. And people were all were all about that. And I was just like, this is stupid. <laughs> it, w- it, it really it was a moment, though, where I was like, this is what it would feel like if I stopped following Pokemon and they, yeah. they released like an image. And I was like, I don't know these Pokemon. This is strange and confusing. I don't like this. <laughs> all right. Let's move on from talking about Chainsaw Man to get into our newer series. Boom! Collection is ready. So Bone Collection took us off guard last chapter, Chris, by being in the running for one of the best chapters of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not completely back to form in this one, but there are some real stupid jokes in this chapter. Oh, yeah. It was, this was a lot more what I was ready, expecting from Bone Collection. Yeah. I mean, it's there's some stuff in this like, all right. But then it's just like, stop trying to be funny. You're not. 
<laughs> so uh, we uh, get a glimpse of uh, of the Yokai Prison Island as we get our chapter title. Chapter 10, I Want to Teach You. Uh, there is a Yokai Prison Island. Uh, yokai classifies higher than S rank or interned there with an extra four or five berry, making it almost impossible to escape until the double S rank Yokai QB escaped. How could this have happened? We see Akifuyu. Uh, reporting on her mission involving the Shuten Doji, which, like, we saw Pyra and Kazami on another mission, and she showed up for that, so... I don't know. Maybe she was putting this off. I don't know, so... (laughs) Uh... She reports on this, and then, you know, she's, like, giving this report through, like, a classic, you know, Japanese-style sliding door. And there's like these this long, tall hallway of these doors that uh, she's in the middle of. It's a really weird visual. Uh, but she closes the door after delivering her report. And then she spots this guy, Gingin Shishino. Well, Both of those names are very, stupid. Very cool name, sir. I also uh, have OCs. <laughs> he's got an eye patch and he's got a lot of swords. And he calls people samurai a lot. He loves to use the word samurai. He says, like, you're a samurai who's no longer a samurai. Why didn't you kill Kazami Jinai? The top brass gave you a samurai or to execute him. So then tell me why, Samurai Abe. And she just goes, you always use the word samurai. It's funny because... I'll get it. I'm going to think of it. It is. I don't have anything. I actually, I guess it's. Gingin says scolds Abe for like seemingly uh, lying about what's going on and how she seems to be advocating for the use of the yokai spell. And Abe's like, well, here's the thing about the yokai spell. I don't think it's actually that bad because among exorcists, not a whole lot can use it. They say if an exorcist uses it, Yokai will take over the exorcist's soul or something bad will happen, but there's barely any record of that happening. And the consequences aren't what they seem. So I thought, maybe someone's hiding something. Mm. And Gingin's like, you've been conducting some shady research. Seems that we samurai both have secrets. And oh, there's a stare down between them. And there's they do the whole like, oh, dragon versus tiger standoff thing. That dragon has a very derpy face, though. Which Stur- one's Arr! which one's she supposed to be? I believe she's the dragon because her dragon is going in towards. I don't think it's necessarily that one of them is one and one's the other. It's just that the dragon and tiger are in Eastern mythos considered to be like the aspects of yin and yang and constant. Yeah, now. it's just it seems dumb if neither character has a connection to the animals, then. You see, Chris, this is just one of the many reasons why Bone Collection is worse than Yu-Gi-Oh! GX. Because when they had Judai and Misawa face off and they were equated to the battle between Tiger and Dragon, it was very, very obvious which one of them was which. They were both Judai Tiger. Was, Judai was the Dragon. Oh. So. I'm anyway, bad. so... <laughs> uh, what is it with Yu-Gi-Oh! And knowing exactly how to capture the, the iconic 
imagery of giant feuds you know they have lion and, or tiger and dragon they have the war of the roses i'm waiting for the Yu-Gi-Oh series that is a giant allegory to the hatfields and mccoys <laughs> and every like you just play like moonshine bottles to whistle in and shotguns and all sorts of crazy stuff and uh no one enjoys it except for me because i like stupid things <laughs> They just like to introduce a new archetype, lost on an islanders. <laughs> um, they receive you could make swamp battle guard a Hatfield and lava battle guard a McCoy. <laughs> oh, Chris, the battle guards are allies, not rivals. But that's the thing. This is the new twist on why right, it's the pendulum version of those stupid fucking monsters. <laughs> This is how you update them for the new scenario. So you can have Swamp Battle Guard archetypes and Lava Battle Guard archetypes. You can have twice the number of archetypes. So proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> Making a pendulum reference. Oh, God. Although that was a few years ago, I guess. God. Um... Meanwhile, while this very important stuff is going on, Pyro wants a fucking sandwich. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And she's carrying uh, Kazami like a fucking log on her shoulder, saying, like, you have to buy me a sandwich. And he goes, does this count as me running an errand for you? Because she's, she's, she's running to get the sandwich and carrying Kazami. So she's doing all the work to get the sandwich. Kind- Kazami's pointing that out to her. It's kind of funny. It's kind of funny. That's a kind of good joke. Like in a anyway. like in a bad way, like you know, like how like 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 a bad Mitch Hedberg joke, you know, where you're just like, all right, I'm not like crazy on this, but all right, but it's you know, I can see where the work is. Well, but he makes it work though because when his jokes bomb, he's just like openly acknowledged, like, all right, that wasn't funny. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we can do another one. I've been to um, enough open mics though to find the bad Mitch Hedbergs. Yeah. And uh, don't watch those. Pyra and Kazami basically. It's really weird because so she's carrying him and they're like hitting people as she carries him breakneck through this crowd. And then Kazami spots that there is this girl uh, in their path. And somehow he gets off of her shoulder and pushes her forward it's like chris when a wrestler is going is carrying another wrestler outside the ring and tries to slam them into the post on the outside and they just drop off the shoulder and push him into it so they counter it except he's still in midair when he does it which is very impressive anyway sends pyra flying into the sandwiches and somehow she just ends up with one of the sandwiches she wanted in her mouth hooray yep Kazami had made sure that the girl that they didn't hit, whose name is Hayami, the most beautiful girl in school, the infamous Hayami, she has glasses, uh, didn't get hurt. Uh, It turns out, however, that in addition to dropping her glasses, she dropped a piece of paper, which floats into Kazami's hands, and it's a yokai prison ferry ticket. Very, very straightforward thing. And so he's like, oh, You've got a ferry trip to Yokai Prison Island. Okay. And Hayami snatches it from him and is like, don't tell anyone about this. And then she walks off. It's like, okay. 
fine. I'm sure that she's never going to show up. She's never going to show up again. Yeah, Nick Hayami isn't an important character. Let's no. just establish that now. Does it? Does it kind of feel like maybe Bloom Collections becoming the harem manga? Well, because there is Pyra, there's now Hayami, there's Reno, and Abe's a girl. Yeah, uh, she doesn't. She, I mean, there's been no indication of any attraction between either of them, and she doesn't like. She doesn't have big boobs or anything. But there are four girls now that Kazami is attached to within only ten chapters. So, and we haven't really met any other important guys. So, you might have a point. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Kazami's like, oh, I share a secret with the most beautiful girl in class now. Cut to the next page, and uh, Kazami's been beaten up by Pyra, and he says, I hate it when you punch me until I have a pile of bumps like this, because he has a pile of bumps on his head from being punched on the head repeatedly. It's so weird to have undercut the joke you made by po- like pointing out the joke that it is. Like, it seems like it's such an odd move. You could have just had him have, like, because it's a funny visual, like the stack of bumps, like the pyramid of bumps on his head. But then he has to be like, and now I have this pile of bumps on my head. I mean, he's got a fr- he, he looks like he's got a corn cob coming out of his head. It's absurd. But for him to just go like, I hate it when you do this to me. Stop it. I mean, look, like last week I made the observation of like, this is like my favorite. Oh, Homura can't stop herself from speaking her thoughts out loud joke because there wasn't attention drawn to it. She just like was like, oh, shit, I got to keep this a secret and then didn't say anything about it. And this one is just like, this is the joke. This is the joke I just told. This is the reason the joke is funny. I am explaining the joke to you that I just made so that you will realize that I made the joke. Anyway, Pyra's there. Yeah, and there she's you upset go. With Kazami. Kazami's bumps go down really quickly, I guess. Um, and then they get a call from Akifuyu, and uh, she's calling them in because of the Yokai prison thing. Uh, Kazami has a really idiotic fucking moment because he's like, Yokai prison island? I've heard of that before. It's been five minutes. Did, did being hit on the head give him brain damage? Is that what happened? Because. So they make their way, they start making their way over. Uh, but um, he, Akifuyu says, Listen, there's going to be a team of you going on this mission. It'll be you two and also two more, and they're going to be your teachers. They're headed on your way. Got to go by. And so after that, because uh, I was like, Oh, no, hang on. And then Pyra takes a slate of gravel and slams it into the top of of Kazami's head and she says from now on when you take a bone out of my body you have to say I love you or thank you say words of appreciation it's like okay we get it you're jealous too so Reno is such an unimportant character Chris that we had to take her qualities and put them in Pyra. You just took a character and slipped it into someone else. <laughs> so they start to fight over this, of course, and they fight by grabbing each other's cheeks and pulling on them, you know, the way that mature people fight. 
But then, oh, the two teachers that Akifuyu sent come racing in out of nowhere and blah, blah, slap them both on the head. And they're like, you've got to stop wasting time fighting because you guys don't know anything about the Yokai spell. And uh, they're like, all right, listen up. I'm San Sakurai. This is my sister, Runa. And we are twins. And according to Akifuyu's orders, we're going to teach you about the Yokai spell. And Kazami goes, Yokai spell? They're the same as us. I mean, one just said that they were twi- twin sisters, so not really. But okay. Uh, maybe they're like theoretical twin sisters. I don't know. <laughs> we are metaphorically twin sisters. <laughs> it wouldn't blow my mind if the series tried to pull that move. Uh, this chapter is <laughs> real bad when you recap it. <laughs> I find out. I didn't think it was that bad, but then you're like, I mean, it's sort of a weird beginning with a dumb joke. And then there's like a middle part with the character who disappears in kind of an awkward way. And, and then uh, Pyra just grabs a, a chunk of slate out of the sidewalk and smashes him in the face and blood shoots out his nose. But then his forehead's the bloody part afterwards and they start karate fighting. And then it just ends. And you're like, well, man, what a fucking stupid chapter this was. I mean, when you look at it in the sense of, okay, what's the important stuff that happened in this chapter? Uh, we saw uh, a demon has, a yokai has escaped from this prison. It's very powerful. It's it's more powerful than seemingly, according to the power levels, seemingly more powerful than Pyra even. Uh, we see that Akifuyu has this other four exorcist king suspicious about what she is doing and an indication that she might be up to something and that's why she's taken a, a shine to Kazami and kind of brought him in as one of her uh, team and then uh, Kazami meets this girl who's got this connection seemingly to the stuff that's going on with the QB and then we learn that in order to get stronger they're going to be trained by these two allies of Akifuyu's and then we're getting more characters introduced Yeah, all that laid on on paper there's a lot of stuff that's going on that's like, okay, you know, typical show and action stuff. There's some interesting stuff going on with Akifuyu, who is by far the best character in this series because she has some degree of depth. <laughs> but then you look at all of the other stuff that's going on. It's like stupid jokes, stupid jokes, stupid jokes. Stupid jokes not only that are there but are undercutting the stuff that is going on that should be good. So it's that's what's really annoying about this. So. Now let's talk about a series we all enjoy. Well, well I mean... It's look, not as bad as last it's week. not nearly as bad. It's not nearly. Harbaugh Cop and Dolphin. Chapter... Or Depth 2, my mistake. The Little Detective. So, uh... Samejima is getting used to life on the island. And, uh, little girl... <laughs> Chaco. Did you intentionally do that with the Rastafarian inflection? On the island. <laughs> I don't know why that tickled me so much. <laughs> so, Chaco has somehow stolen a police baton and has climbed up onto out of the second floor window and is like, ah, Shark Monster Man, you've come. If you try to capture me, you're going to get cut. Little, f- you're going to get cut. No, she says, she makes a pun. She says, you're going to get cut till fish. Like a cuttlefish. 
It's, I, it's, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how she makes that joke. Like, it seems beyond her capacity to make a pun <laughs> like that. Uh, maybe like the the cult gave her like supernaturally gifted pun abilities, but not good ones. I've heard a lot of cuttlefish puns in my life. I don't I've, think I've ever heard cut tullfish as the pun because that's who I'm gonna save that one for October if you know what I mean. So. She leaps from the balcony and somebody was like, it's okay. She's just a little kid playing around, challenging Septicate. And she bashes the police baton into his head. And Samajima bleeds from the head for a little bit and falls over onto the sidewalk. And he's bleeding from the head onto the sidewalk. He looks like he's dead. That's the so, end of the series, man. All right. So, Nick, do you think we're going to keep it in the magazine forever? Because the next 17 chapters are just, po- are just posthumous funerals I mean, for this I mean, man. <laughs> for sheer morbid fascination, I think we got to keep it. <laughs> If I knew for a fact that it was just going to be the, the fallout of this man's death, I'd be like, yeah, I mean, I've never seen a show in a series that's like that. <laughs> they arrested that baby. They put her in prison. <laughs> Orpheus was like, was like disbarred and everything or whatever the fuck uh, happens to cops. <laughs> Fired, I think. Is yeah. <laughs> so we find out that Orpheus's full name is Orpheus F. Lipper, because fuck you. Um, <laughs> and uh, so afterwards, he's just like, oh, yeah, what's what's with the costume? Sami Jim is like, it's not a costume. Your daughter smashed open my skull with a police baton and I'm wearing bandages. And they're arguing. And Sami Jim rightfully points out. Why the hell are you bringing a kid to a police precinct? Why didn't you just send her to a daycare center? And Orpheus is like, well, I mean, we don't have a daycare center on this island. And he's like, I, so what? Oh, uh, oh, okay, I guess that makes sense. And then busty cop lady's like, we have daycare centers. Like, oh, fuck you! It's, it's Okay, that's actually kind of funny. Like, you, know, you have the double reversal of expectations there. But we get some lore in this, which is... Uh, Orpheus explaining she has to stay in protective custody, that she has to stay under our protection because people are after her. And somebody was like, oh, you mean the cult? It's like, among other things, as we learn about later in this chapter. So um, Chaco continues to bother Samijima and Samijima is like, yeah, I'm not going to let you smash me in the head anymore. And what, like, what are you doing? And Chaco says, I'm getting revenge for what's it? And they're like, oh, she likes you. She's playing with you. And Orpheus is upset that she likes, Samaji even likes playing with him by smashing open his skull. That's how children do, you know. So, uh, someone breaks into a house. They go to investigate. They're looking through it. Uh, stuff happens, blah, blah, blah. Orpheus mentions to Samajima, this island is the front line in the war against ocean crime. And Samaji was like, the fuck are you talking about? And Orpheus points uh, uh, as there's, you know, a Canadian investigation. Meanwhile, Chuck has been brought along as uh, they're going about this whole thing. And she's got a little magnifying glass and she's like, the mystery has been solved, but the truth is always lost in the darkness. Looks are actually kind of important. And she's like looking at little ants walking across the sidewalk. And he's like, what the fuck are you doing? And she says, hurry. The culprit is probably a bomber. 
And so Imogen is like, okay, go go home. And then he hears a ticking. He's like, uh, oh no. Oh, oh no. Because she was right. There was a bomb. Boom. It goes off. Everyone takes cover. And so uh, Samajin was looking around and he happens to spot an octopus. An octopus with with stupid hair and a mustache. Honestly, that hair is magnificent in comparison to that very stupid mustache. <laughs> That's the kind of mustache. When someone grows that, you really have to question a lot of life decisions. Because you it's clearly a, did not have the ability to grow a mustache. If you grow that mustache and you are older than 15, no. Some, something's <laughs> gone wrong in your life and you need to reevaluate it. If you're if you're 15, it's like, I grew facial hair. It's like, no, you didn't, kid. Hey, just... you try. You ruffle their hair. You're like, you tried there, kiddo. Just shave it for now. It'll grow in better, and you won't look stupid for three years. It'll, it's okay. You'll get an actual mustache eventually. Oh, is this, anyway. was this future Nick talking to past Nick? I grew a stupid mustache when I was a teenager, yeah. That's awesome. But, I mean, like, everyone grew a stupid mustache, basically. <laughs> Yeah, all of us. Yeah. <laughs> all of us. A lot a lot of people. <laughs> no, my, my favorite was because um, you weren't allowed to have your hair too long at my school. So the whole rule was your your hair couldn't go past your ears. So my hair doesn't like well, what it means is like you can't let like so you don't grow out long hair. Like the moment your your hair up here kind of starts to get too long. They want you to cut it. They don't really care about the back so much, especially on board. Oh, so you can have a mullet. Gotcha. Well, so uh, that's actually what I'm getting to. So I, my hair was getting kind of long. My hair just gets curly and ugly when it gets uh. long. It's not a good look. So I was at that point where they're like, you need to, you need to get a haircut or do, you know, to get rid of it. And I was too lazy. So I just cut here and I just gave myself a gigantic mullet and I came into school and everyone just shit on me for an entire day. Like it was just eight straight hours of people be like, you look like the biggest fucking idiot on this fucking planet, you big stupid idiot. And you're like, fuck this, I'm going back to the 80s. And then I went to go get a haircut, and some of the kids were there already, and they made fun of me getting the haircut too. Did they like plan it? Did they go to the to the salon specifically because they were expecting you? There? It was completely coincidental, but like one of the kids was already there, and you saw me coming and just started laughing really loud. I was like, oh, I thought it was done. <laughs> no second wave. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I don't know how we got to there. <laughs> All right, so there's an octopus running along, and Sammy Doom is like, "Hey, dolphin, what the fuck?" <laughs> so, uh, but Orpheus brings up the point of, "Well, listen, you were talking with Chaco, right?" And uh, Hey, you know, you shouldn't have come here, Chaco, but so Nasa, keep an eye on her, and me and Shark will go and trap the, the perp, okay? Uh, and and somebody was like, I mean, the octopus, right? It's, it's not a human, right? And Orpheus says, hey, remember what I told you? This place is the front lines in the war against ocean crime. So they go off to try and catch this guy. Uh, at the police station, they receive word about the terrorist bomb attack, and he's like, Oh, the house was flattened. No casualties. Good. And it's like the chief is like, I mean, it's not good. And we took a bomb went on. Um, Sammy Dune is like, what the hell is going on? 
the octopus has changed and its hairstyle is better? I don't know. It's rapidly evolving, though. And uh, then it evolves more. It grows a shirt. Okay. Uh, and now arms and stuff. And so some Jim's like, oh, you're going to you're going to regret growing up, growing hands that can cuff. Orpheus runs towards the octopus to try and take him down. He slips on a tentacle chunk and goes flying uh, and then explodes because he grabbed a bomb. I don't know. He, he blew up. He's fine. He's probably fine, though. So Samijima attacks the octopus guy. Chops him on the back of the head after trying to deliver a one-liner and pins him down. He's like, I'm going to cuff your arms. And then he's like, oh, as the ten- as more tentacles come out and the guy's got like all these giant tentacles spewing out of his mouth. And he's like, what the hell is he? Is he going more human or is he going more octopus? Ooh, it's the end of chapter. So Art Boyle, a cop, and Dolphin might be more interested if it just went pure cosmic horror fucking craziness, uh, but I feel like it's just going to be a bunch of aquatic shit, and mm. this is not as bad as last chapter, because last one hit on some weird notes for the time. Uh, this one just isn't particularly interesting, and I think the reason why is pretty evident. The main lead is not an interesting character, and should have been the Dolphin Man from the very beginning, probably. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, he's just boring. He's yeah. just like, I'm a cop. You have to make him a parody at this point. You can't like you can't just go in like my character is going to be a hard nosed cop because that's been I mean, maybe Japanese cinema hasn't done it, but that's like a tired archetype in American. Like, yeah, they they, they make jokes about it, but like they really don't go hard enough. You have like, to go seemed, real hard on it. Yeah. Him being like, oh, I'm a hard nosed cop should be like. The reason he's the butt of the joke, mm-hmm. basically. And it's instead, it's just like there are some silly things that happen around him. So, yeah, I mean, I think that he is pretty boring, honestly. And so because everything is being seen through his eyes, it's like, OK, whatever. Who cares? So. But Chris, speaking of tentacled monstrosities that come from the ocean, Maguchan got a oh, destruction. Chapter three. I thought it was Black Clover. I don't know why I thought that. <laughs> Neither the segue Not- nor the usual structure of our podcast would lead me to believe that, but and yet, oh. <laughs> Naputaku the Mad is the name of the ta- of the chapter. Uh, as um another chaotic god has awakened from another ceiling crystal in the ocean, and it's got he's got a big ass mouth, and he seems to sense uh, that another god has been awakened before him as his crystal cracks, and he's freed. Meanwhile, at Ruru's house, uh, she has realized that they are out of ingredients, and uh, Magu is is like, "What? No food!" And he, he starts to get really pissed off. He's like, "I ordered you to deliver food offerings to me this evening," and he starts to like summon an eye beam in order to blow her up. And she's just like, "Shut up! I'm upset too." She just like, doesn't does not give a shit about it. <laughs> so she's like, "Okay, only thing we can do, we're gonna go to the beach and we're gonna dig for clams." And there's an adorable little picture of her with her little like. Uh, sand rake and a bucket and Magu's riding in the bucket. So cute. Yeah. Um, so she's like, okay, so what we're going to do while well, the tide is out is we're going to you know, dig through this. And we're going to get a clam. Yay. Uh, and I'll make steam. I'll make miso soup and sake steamed clams. And Magu just grabs the shell with a tentacle from her hand. 
this tastes like rocks. <laughs> so um, she's like, well, we'll have a competition to dig up the most clams. And of course, Magda's like, dare to challenge me. And But as he calls that out, he hears there's another chaotic voice that calls to him from the ocean. And he's like, oh, how you have fallen, Magu Manuaku. And Magu recognizes the voice of Naputaku. And coming from the ocean, Naputaku the mad, the tentacled sea monstrosity, which is like six inches tall. He looks like Patrick from SpongeBob in a way. He's like, you know, kind of starfish shaped. He's just got a really messed up mouth. Yeah. So, uh,. They both mock each other for, you know, being so small and pathetic looking and stuff. Uh, Maku fills Ruru in on who Napataku is and just, he's, he's another god of chaos. Uh, Napataku is nicknamed Naputakun by uh, Ruru because, of course, you got to give them a much more disarming name. Um, and uh, Ruru is like, oh, you've reunited with your friend. And of course, they're like glaring at each other, black energy flowing off of them. And she's like, oh, wait, you don't seem like friends. So um, so they look like they're going to get ready to fight. Uh, both of them are, you know, kind of taking on more demonic forms, glowing with energy as they're like, oh, this is my domain. Oh, no, I'm going to destroy you. And so she <laughs> Ruru throws ice packs at the two of them to get them to stop. And then she says, listen. There's nothing more important than ruling the world right now. And that's getting ingredients for dinner. So if you want to fight, you have to have a clam digging competition. And Naputa is like, stay out of this. And Magu's like, I accept. And if you, if you, and if you're not going to participate against me, I'll win by default. <laughs> well, that was easy. <laughs> I do like that. These like ultra powerful cosmic gods have such childlike personalities. Do it. And it's like, no, I'm not going to let you win by default. <laughs> Ren is passing by. He doesn't really contribute to this chapter, honestly, but whatever. You still got to get used to seeing to the characters being around and stuff. Rue declares that uh, there's going to be 10 minutes. Whoever gathers the most clans within that time wins, and the loser has to do whatever the winner says. So Naputa is like, oh, Magu Manuaku, you will be exiled when I win. And Magu says, then once victory is mine, I know just the thing. Naputaku, you shall emblazon your name upon this. He holds up the best friends. <laughs> so they're like, all right, on your mark and say go. And they both try and dig. <laughs> they're both so weak and pathetic, they can't do it. So Magu's like, all right, fine. He uses his eye beams to blow a hole in the sand. He gets two clams. I have amassed clams. <laughs> But Naputa has his own special ability and he declares, don't get so high and mighty. And he unleashes his frenzied roar as the ground itself shakes. And he declares, and Magu declares, this is his power. Man Naputaku in all his glory. His voice infiltrates the very spirit of living things. By instilling madness in them, he is able to control them at will. And a whole bunch of hermit crabs come storming out of the sand, coming towards him and depositing themselves at his at his feet. And he's like, oh, look, an easy 100. Good luck trying this yourself. And so Rue's like, oh, wow, look at all those shells. But they're all hermit crabs. They're not clams, so zero points. <laughs> he's like, all right, 10 minutes are up. The results, Magu-chan with two clams, two points. Naputa-kun with 100 hermit crabs, zero points. <laughs> Which means victory grows to me with 21 clams. <laughs> 
I'm like, what the fuck? This is, I thought this was a competition between us. And she said, I said the most clams. So <laughs> she says, so that means you have to do what we say. Naputa's like, well, fine then. And he uses his frenzy roar. I'll use the power of madness to take control of you. Luring your psyche into my madness. You you will be my puppet. And Ren reaches out. No! Andrew karate chops and put on the head. And he's like, stop yelling. And Magu is like, you have to understand. You're in this weakened form. You can't use your abilities sequentially anymore. So you already exhausted yourself by getting all those crabs and stuff. So... He says, the true winner of this competition is clear. And Ruru says, you must now obey my orders. Both of you, be friends. Aww. And so sweet. And so then she says, all right, and as proof of your bond, write your name in Magachan's BFF book. <laughs> and he's like, no! And he tries to get away, and she just grabs him and is like, here, I'll help you write it. And she writes his name in. <laughs> And Magu walks away like, my conquest of Naputaku is complete! <laughs> and Naputa declares that he will have his vengeance and swims off into the ocean. And uh, that's it. That's that's the end of the chapter. I really like Magu-chan. It's been three beautifully funny, silly, sweet chapters. I don't know if we should keep recapping it, because uh, as much as I enjoy it, I think that recaps are just going to be going, it's so sweet and cute and funny. And that's all I have to say. So, so uh, that's interesting. I, I think that's actually a very interesting thing to say. Uh, I like this series as well. I think it's very fun. Uh, I am kind of quietly on the side, slowly catching up with everything that's currently in Jump. I've caught everything. up. I've caught up on Undead Unlock. I'm about halfway through Jujutsu Kaisen. After that, I plan to catch up on a lot of the side series that we've kind of stopped. Um, there's a level... So, like, we dropped Mori King, and Mori right. King has skyrocketed. It's been doing really well in rankings. I, yes, I, it I, 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 it's It's been getting very positive reception. People really dig it. There's always going to be a level of people who are going to be like, why aren't you guys talking about this? Like, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There's 20, um, there's 20 series that run in jump, and we struggled to do 15. So Now, that said, uh, I can probably go out on a limb and say, unless the next chapter is incredible, we're not picking up the dolphin bullshit. Probably not. And don't want to bury the lead, but we're probably not going to be picking up <laughs> Roboco Roboco or whatever the fuck that is. Fucking nine, no. <laughs> So if that's the case, we're we're losing two series, and I don't think Bone Collection is is long for this world. Unlike Mori King, it's been doing very poorly. So, so I will propose this. Similar to how we said we're gonna put Akayashi Triangle or Ayakashi Triangle on hold, mm-hmm. let's put uh Maguchan on reverse hold. Where just, it's a series to talk about, but at, at a point we reached where we're like, we don't really have anything to say. We could just pull the pin out and say like, hey, you guys, we can all still enjoy it, but there's not really yeah. a ton to recap. Okay, so, and that can also be a matter of like, well, this doesn't have as great a chance of as Ayakashi Triangle of succeeding because it's not attached to this guy who's got this yeah. reputation. 
stuff. Who, so. who knows, too? Okay. The, the okay. series may not. I mean, we've we talked so much about how the translation's great. I maybe the series is translated. Well, not maybe translated, not. but maybe it doesn't hit the same way in Japan. Maybe yeah. this doesn't succeed and it just disappears, which would be very sad. But you know, yeah. maybe that happened. So we'll, we'll, would be, wouldn't be the first time. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I mean, yeah. Okay. Let's do it then. All right. Magu-chan in. All right. So let's move on from there to Mashal. Uh, this is chapter 22. Doubt Barrett and the Rose with Thorns. Are there roses without thorns? I don't believe so. Let's see. Roses um, I, without thorns? I mean, I'm sure that they would have. Uh, it says there are some. Because I'm sure that like with, you know, the way that uh, selective. Uh, Heterology yeah. works that uh, they would you they would have probably gotten onto that. But. Can I side note? If there's somebody who spends time doing all the cross pollination shit in Animal Crossing, I don't understand you. I feel like we fundamentally are different people and should probably have our separate ways and just accept that. Because anytime I, I see one of those lists, I'm like, well. Here's you're gonna need to use some small amounts of trigonometry to figure out the exact. I'm like, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. I, it feels complicated every time I look at it. It feels complicated, and I'm like, nope, I'm gone. I just wanted to talk to my rhino friend. That's all the reason I was here. I mean, you're also a different type of person from me because I don't play Animal Crossing. So. Well, I, I played for like two weeks and then I abandoned it. <laughs> so mm. I'm not a very good mayor. And I don't have a switch. So <laughs> oh, I don't. I haven't played the switch one. I oh, okay. I assume that's just a turnip tracking game because that's the only information I've gotten <laughs> oh, about it. Who's got good turnips and bells? <laughs> I need good turnip prices. I didn't realize this is like a stock game now. <laughs> There's a lot of intensity to this through Animal Crossing. It sounds like. All right, Mash and Company are descending through this mysterious doorway. You think there's like a punny kind of group name we could give these guys, like I don't know, the Mash Mob or something like that? Mashed potatoes. Yeah, fuck it, let's do it. Mash potatoes. Mash potatoes. Mash put it's not a very chantable name, but Mash potatoes. Better than Edge, I guess, in terms of chanting. (laughs) Edge. Edge. Is that where you have to like almost be like, let's go, Edge. You have to to draw it out to one syllable out to three. (laughs) (laughs) Um they descend down the staircase. Uh, Mash compares this s- secret level to having like a secret base, and doubts like stop killing the dramatic tension or I'll kill you. And Mash gets very depressed about this. He's like, I'm sorry. I mean, like, I don't really know why he was so upset about it, but I guess that's just Doubt's character. He just gets irrationally angry and then regrets when people react to the hurtful things he says. So they come across an arena. It's uh, actually reminds me of that bit in Congo Bancho where they're going, you know, through the various arenas and stuff. There's just random arenas underground and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's other series that have done this thing too, like an underground circular arena. I feel like, um, if not Yu Yu Hakusho or, or some other series did it, like some other big shonen. Yeah. Uh, Lance observes, like, oh, it's, it's an arena. And Mash goes, what is this place? And Doubt says, you just told you. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
so there is a pretty boy there to confront them. Uh, and uh, he clarifies when Lance asks him that he is not one of the Magia Lupus, but he is here at the third's request. He says, my job is pest control. So if you want to proceed, you must stake your coins in a battle. Uh, so Lance starts to step forward, but Doubt goes up instead. And he says, it has to be me because no one hates good looking guys more than I do. So like, yeah, OK. Uh, yeah, everyone's just like, all right, go for it. Like, no one cares. No one thinks he's cool. Everyone's like, all right. <laughs> you go do it. You go. You go do it. Not Renji. Yeah. So uh, Doubt says, I know what you've got. You've got a fan club. And the guy's like, I mean, yeah, I do. So. All right, all right. Well, here, here he fucking goes. <laughs> There's doubt. Is going on a rant again. He's, he, of course, he goes on a rant. He's like, well, fuck you. You can die. And they're like, oh, wow, yeah, yeah. You can't like just gotta admire his dedication to the bit. And Lance says, pitiful creature. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's he's kind of an incel. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> everyone's <laughs> like, yeah, this guy's kind of annoying. Uh, the guy says, "What? You're upset that I'm attractive?" And doubt's like, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, <laughs> he summons thorns from his wand. Doubt s- sends out an explosive fireball, but the thorn keeps on going through the fire and uh, slashes at his arm. And uh, so Thorny Vine guy's like, oh, well, you beat the second year Silva, didn't you? And Doubt's like, well, maybe he actually, actually he kind of beat the crap out of me. So, no, I didn't. Well, it's a shame like a guy like him is a double liner. Magic capacity is worthless if you don't use it right. And in case you're wondering, I'm a lot tougher than he is. And Dodd's like, well, you're still going to lose. And he declares Explom Bomb. And there are uh, eight sigils that appear in a ring around the guy. And he's like, oh, my, what, where, where are all these? And Dodd says, well, you got to watch your step because those tricky puppies there, they've got five times the explosive power. So the guy's like, all right, well, I'm not going to fall for that trap. So whatever. And Dowd's like, no, nah, you're going to fall for it. Fucking idiot. Yeah. So he's like, all right, well, I'm not going to move. Just use my whip and attack him. And more thorny vines come out. They start slashing doubt. Uh, one of them coils around him and he drops his wand and it starts digging into him. And the guy declares, oh, my next attack will finish you off. Your magic is weak as your fashion sense. You can trick me into stepping on your little landmines. Everything about you screams low effort. And Doubt just says, who said they were landmines? And one of the circles goes off and explodes, shreds the vine that has wrapped him up, and he's dropped down to free. And of course, the vine guy is like, what the hell? And Doubt says, my x bomb spell runs in a timer. Don't think I'd be bold. Didn't think I'd be bold enough to set up a bunch of time bombs in front of you, did you? Well, die eight times. And they all go off. Boom, 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 boom. And Doubt flips off the guy. We're going, yeah, I'll teach you to judge others by their looks. Pretty boy. <laughs> what a dickhead. <laughs> so I do really like the trick of it. But Doubt is the le- like the least interesting character in the group. And yes. This isn't even a member of the Magia Lupus, so there isn't really even a stake to it. So this is a chapter where I'm just like, okay. There wasn't like a laugh out loud joke to really carry me through it either. So I don't hate it. I just, I don't like doubt. And it seems like we're not going to get away from him. So I really hope we get something to make him more enjoyable. 
And we're, meanwhile, we're getting a very straightforward battle series, kind of. Here's this small group of heroes going through this gauntlet kind of sequence. Uh, like you mentioned earlier, it's similar to things that we've seen a lot in various different shows and series. Yu Yu Hakusho is definitely the example that springs to mind the most out of any. Um, and yeah, because of that, it's a less humor heavy chapter. And a lot of it just has to deal with Dao's personality. The best jokes in it, I think, for me, are just the group just kind of like commenting back and forth about stuff. Mm-hmm. And when the, in that sense, it's just kind of like eh, a little, little chuckle. And that's kind of it. So I guess in a way it's kind of bad that Mashal is going down this route. Cause it's like, I mean, it's not as funny now, but I'm I sure think we're going to get there. I, I think it's just that there's not enough humor to derive from doubt. Like his, mm. uh, we've seen like even last chapter had great moments. It's just, it's not doubt particularly that's going to make those or we need bigger reactions from things. So I, I, I haven't lost much faith in the series. I just think that this wasn't a very particularly great chapter. It's not a bad one either. Like I, I'd read a thousand of these before I'd read like the next fucking series basically again for fun. But, you know, it's still like, hey, do better because I believe in you. All right, Chris. Last jump start for this string of four in a row we've gotten. Me and Roboco. <laughs> and guess what, guys? Back when this series was first announced, I was like, that sounds like a gag manga. Wouldn't you know it? It's a gag manga. Oh. Uh, uh, the author said he's trying to make it a battle manga. <laughs> are you Are you serious? I think so. Isn't that that was the artist, the author comments for this week? I thought he had something where he was like, I can't wait to make this a battle manga or something like that. Is that like a Dragon Ball reference, maybe? Uh, let me see if I can find it. Seven five. Why the fuck is? Why isn't it listed alphabetically? Now I have to Shuhei scroll. Miyazaki. Shuhei Miyazaki is their name. Yeah, I'm not gonna be able to search for that though. Cool. It's so, on there. Um, we're introduced to this concept that there are Robo maids in the world. Uh, they're super cute, and um, everyone likes having them. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, his, his exact quote was, the plan is to slowly turn this into a serious robot action manga. Please enjoy. Maybe it was a joke, but <laughs> I mean, who can tell? It's about as funny. I, as the jokes I was going to say, with the sharp wit of this series, who really knows? There's there's robo maids and they're super cute. Oh, sugoi desu ne. Kawaii desho. So guys perving on them because they're cute and stuff and our main character bondo he's uh hanging out with his uh friends um they've got cute robo maids to look after them and uh he doesn't have a robot maid so he decides to uh, go home and ask his mom for a robot maid there are jokes about how uh, his friends are bullying him about not having the robot maid and then when he gets mad at them, he's like, yeah, actually, we actually kind of feel bad for you when we hope that you get a good robot made. And he's like, I felt better when you were bullying me about this. And they make that joke twice. Um, so, look, we're, we're talking about with low energy. I actually kind of like some of these jokes. The premise of the series is just garbage, though. That's that's my issue with it. There is one joke in this 
that I like that comes up right here. Uh, and then I realized it was the, the entire basis of uh, the character. And I realized, oh, they're going to make this joke over and over again. And that's yeah. the fact that Bondo's mom, mom, uh, is very aggressive loose with the way, <laughs> loose with the way that she handles a kitchen knife. And so she'll, you know, she'll just keep on like, you know, getting aggressive while get, and she'll, you know, shout at him while like holding up a, a kitchen knife and she gets angry over random things and stuff. And then I realized that uh, she is on the cover page holding a kitchen knife. So it's like, oh, that's going to be an ever present thing for her. She just has a kitchen knife like when she's folding the laundry, all of these different things where it's not appropriate to have a kitchen knife. She has a kitchen knife. Anyway, she agrees to get them a cheap maid because if a maid does the housework, that means she can take more shifts on and make them more money. So it'll kind of pay for itself. It makes it makes actual logical sense, which is weird. But anyway, she does this and Bond is like, I'm going to have a cute maid in the house doing stuff for me. Cool. And then Roboco shows up. Roboco is this large maid and she has big meaty thighs and calves Specifically, later on, her calves are compared to Nappas from Dragon Ball because pop culture references. Woo. At least it's a reference that I actually understood. And a lot of references in gag manga I don't get because they're for Japanese media and stuff. Anyway, she shows up on this hot rod bike uh, and she actually apparently stole it from a gang, I guess. They come and try to beat her up, but she beats them up instead. And um, she tries to do all sorts of, you know, cutesy maid stuff, but she can't. She's too awkward and big and clumsy and stuff. And she has to charge really quickly. There is a joke that happens in here about how Bondo keeps on going like, oh, if if I had had a cutesy maid do this, then it would have been endearing or cute when she, you know, messed up in this way. And then there's a moment where, you know, Roboco is like has a drooly face when she has to charge. And Bondo's like, oh, if it were the cute maid. No, I guess that wouldn't be any better. It's like, OK, that's a little that's 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 all right. It's fine. Anyway, she's useless. She's useless. She's useless. And so eventually She's like smash up the house. It gets Bondo's mom mad. And then Bondo's like, oh, I hate you, Roboco. I'm putting you up on eBay. He runs outside and he's like, this is so messed up. No, I would wish I could have had a cute maid. And then he rushes out into traffic. He's so upset. So Roboco pushes him out of the way, dives in to push him out of the way. And Bondo's like, oh, no. Why did I say those old things, all those things about Roboco? Roboco is always doing her best for me. I just compared her to something she wasn't. And Roboco goes, goodbye. And the, the, the truck smashes into her and completely flips around her because she's too sturdy for to take any damage. She's fine. Hooray. And Bondo apologizes to Roboco. And then turns out that, oh, hey, Bondo. Uh, yeah, I was trying to order this maid yesterday, but I messed up and couldn't do it. And then Bondo realizes, wait, then if she didn't order the maid, then then... The what? What is she? Oh well. I do kind of like how the chapter ends with her flipping clearly like a hot bowl of soup directly onto him, like him being like, "Oh well." It's like there's clearly like a giant bowl of hot chili about to hit him in the back of the head. Um, there's some potential to this series. There are a couple jokes that I think are kind of funny. Uh, but as it the the core premise is not good. I did. Some people have kind of mentioned it. 
it does seem really weird that these kids look like they're like six years old and they're just like, I wish my maid was hot and I could see up her skirt. Uh, like these sort of things are just kind of odd. And the gag that they wanted a feminine demure maid and they got a more masculine kind of weird maid is just a dumb joke that's kind of run its course immediately. Yeah. I think it would have been more you funny. Literally, like you look, you could when you see the cover of Jump slash the splash page on the main Shonen Jump site, you're like, oh, I get what the joke is. But, yeah. So, and it's annoying because. There's potential ways to go because the best jokes are the ones that aren't about that. You could easily have done those. You could still keep the character looking like that. Just like don't make so many jokes. They're just like, I wish my maid was cute. I wish she was hot instead. Like you could just make the joke. that's like, hey, this is clearly like some weird model and it does dumb things. It gets beat up by bike gang members and, you know, stuff like that. It's just the rest of it's not great and i'm kind of like i really had to lift the eyebrow at the end when it's like are we gonna delve into the like the lore of why this robot mysteriously showed up or we as the kid says at the end he's like eh, who cares is it just gonna be like eh, fuck it we don't really have an idea for a premise for this series so here's the thing about gag manga and uh why i don't like talking about them Imagine doing a review of a comic strip. Uh-huh. And imagine doing a review of a comic strip 20 times in a row. And that's basically it. It's just a matter of like, did you like this joke? Yes or no? Yeah. And that's kind of it. And with a, with a comedy series, uh, you know, in the vein of Bone Collection, in the vein of Magu-chan, it's like, okay, the comedy has a consistency to it because it is tied to characters and situations. A gag manga defies characters and situations because it is always operating on. Here's a new page. I want to tell a joke. And it doesn't matter what was on the previous page unless there was a joke on that page that will strengthen this joke through repetition or variation. So it doesn't matter what happens in the manga because it's a collection of joke, 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 joke. And character consistency is non-existent uh, and, and unless the character's consistency is here is their joke. Like Bondo's mom has a knife all the fucking time mm. or Roboco doesn't look like a cute robot mate. So and that's kind of it. it, it this is a vehicle for weird non sequitur jokes and they're not tied to each other, generally speaking. So. What's the point in trying to actually have a conversation about what was good and what was bad other than this joke was funny. This joke wasn't to me. And that's it. That's the only conversation you can have. I suppose this is a bad time to announce large and in charge. My daily podcast where I review a strip of Garfield comic one day at a time for two hours. (laughs) How many did you get through per recording? <laughs> one. One strip per episode. I'm trying to go with the Joe Rogan approach where I do a four-hour podcast every day for four days of the week. And um, then I make a shit ton of money. And uh, I don't know. I guess I just do archery and watch fights for the rest of the day. That's amazing how you can trick people into thinking you're actually talented. Okay, yeah. so... 
I'm going to have on all these people. And then, uh, ooh, just it's constantly uh, a real Jeez. weird thing. The number of people you're All right, you know, whatever. Time Paradox Ghost Rider. Ding! Your plot twist continues. So, chapter 8 message. Last time Tepe got this message on his fucking fridge that says, The source of death is not yet eliminated. Continue drawing White Knight. Save Itsuki. Because he found out that he was going to fucking die if he didn't. So uh, he examines the actual message itself and kind of wipes it. And he's like, there's like iron sand that's drawing the message stuck to the fridge. Interesting. And fucking weird shit happens within this chapter. So Tepe is just like, what the fuck? Is this a message from the future? Who are you? What is going on? You know, and so he yells this and the iron sand on the fridge comes out of the fridge floats in a crackling sphere of energy for a bit and then goes back to the door of the refrigerator and it just says square root of 144. And Tepe is like, what the fuck does that mean? I mean, it means it, it calculates out to 12, but other than that, I can't help you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he, Tepe is like, I mean, can they not hear me? I mean, I wish we could actually communicate properly. I mean, so what is this? What, what, what is going on? So he keeps on going on the same path of thought that he had in the last chapter. Maybe it's possible that I know's death can be avoided. Uh, and apparently that's related to me drawing white knight. But in that case, I've already started doing that. So why hasn't the problem solved? The timeline has already clearly changed. What, what is me drawing this series supposed to do? Asking the the good questions, honestly. It's like, what the fuck does this have to do with me drawing a fucking manga? <laughs> Iron Sand comes out in a crackling sphere again, and it goes, very soon, Itsuki will begin Anima, a new series. Tepe Sasaki continue drawing White Knight. You must beat Itsuki. Your defeat means her death. And so, of course, the way that Shonen Jump series operators that they're kind of in a way in competition with each other in series like this and in Bachman, it's exaggerated very slightly, but yes, it matters how well the series do in comparison to each other in terms of what gets picked up in the magazine and what doesn't anyway. So Tepe screams at the microwave. What the hell? You know, why do I have to do this? If you needed someone to draw a series that would outperform I, I knows, then why choose me? There's got to be a better option. I can't do this. And the Iron Sand surges out of the refrigerator again. And since Tepe was leaning against it, screaming into it, it pushes him away. It crackles in a ball of energy, goes back into the, into the door, and it reads out April 22nd of 2021, 6.20 p.m. And then, Chris... There's six numbers. <laughs> it's lost, but none of the numbers are from lost. Almost <laughs> intentionally so. It's annoying. But it's a lottery ticket uh, number. 7, 12, 20, 31, 37, 41. So guys, keep track of that for April 22nd, 2021. And I guess also find out which lottery it's referring to. Because <laughs> there's a few of them. Um, and so, of course, Tepe is like, what the hell are these Are these dates? Uh, not dates, but these numbers. And so the Iron Sand comes out again, goes back and says... These are the winning numbers of the lotto drawing. I'm aware that you're in debt and have refused to use White Knight's profits for yourself. Use them production costs. Continue the series. 
and Tepe continues to scream and object and stuff. And he's like, no, but my guilt. <laughs> it's so annoying that like the fucking, like I really just wanted the fucking refrigerator to be like, oh my God, I get it. You have a lot of issues you've with yourself. A, you've got a martyr complex. God, <laughs> just use the cock sucking money for fuck's sake. And and all he, he says, like, I don't care about the money. I just want to make sure this manga doesn't disappear from the world. But I can't draw the rest of the story. And I how am I supposed to beat I know series with it? How is that supposed to save her? Why do I have to do this? Who are you? And the Iron Sand spells out a smiley face. And Tepe looks at it and he thinks about I know. And this is something that we've never really commented on about I know before, but she wears a pair of hair clips uh, in her bangs, which have smiley faces on them. So that's the image that comes to mind for him. But after that moment, the iron sand falls free from the refrigerator and the messages stop coming. So Tepe screams at the into the microwave and refrigerator a bit. I would love if like he had a roommate and they showed up at this point. Just like, are you screaming at our microwaves? <laughs> Dude, how long has our microwave robot been fucked up? <laughs> Seven months! <laughs> and you haven't used any of that sweet manga money to buy a new one? <laughs> no! I donated it all to charity because I'm a fraud! Well, that's dumb. Give it to me, then. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to... Like, just his pothead roommate. <laughs> it's like, yo, man, what do we do? We get, like, six blacklight posters for all that money. <laughs> not the so, black light though that's gonna come next month i guess <laughs> tepe realizes no more messages are coming thinks about i know fading away into this metaphor for death basically and we just get this full page spread of him with this angry determined expression on his face and we cut ahead to later that night and Tepe is basically studying and like deciphering the future volumes of the manga for clues on what direction the story should take. And he is working on the manga going ahead now without something to copy from and just thinking about what Itsuki Aino would do. And he is nervously biting into his knuckle as he works on it and his blood is dripping onto the page. Oh, Chris, remember what I said about the floor being raised? Uh -huh. Didn't go back down. It was like, <laughs> <laughs> this is, depending on how you look at it, either insane bullshit that is stupid sci-fi nonsense, which I love, or it's effective drama. It's not neither of those things. It's like, <laughs> See, it's weird. The moment I saw this, I was like, oh, so we're just doing Bakuman again, but with a love like a a better romantic premise, I guess. It definitely seems to be framing I know more and more as like this kind of idealized romantic interest now. Yeah. So and also his idol. So what if uh oh god, I can't even remember Mashiro. What if Mashiro just could fuck Crow Kid, basically, is what I feel like this series has become. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't the problem. The problem wasn't that they were both guys. It was just that he had made that stupid promise with uh, Azuki. Yeah. <laughs> you imagine like there's they just have an awkward exchange one day when they're at like one of the jump parties where they're all in suits and stuff. And Nizuma is just like, 
By the way, I'm t- I'm t- I'm like totally into you and Takagi, and but he's like married. What's your deal? I was like, oh, I've got this. I'm flattered, but I've got this. See, there's this girl. So, oh, you're dating? I mean, not really. <laughs> no, we only talk to each other through text. Even should we see each other in real life, we will say nothing to one another. So are you saying no? So like, it's just you just met her. No, I've known her for a very long time. And I've, you intend to get with her after we make it anime. <laughs> we've been in love since we were in middle school. <laughs> I don't I mean, look if you listen if if you're not gay you could you could have just told me that. <laughs> yeah, if you're not interested there are less roundabout stupid ways to do it. I, I have a hard time believing anybody would believe it's a healthy relationship. <laughs> Admit your feelings for one another and then be like, "Well, we're only going to talk about each other through text message." <laughs> Holy shit. Can I we dunk on Bakuman more? What a fucking dumb premise that was. <laughs> and he just walks away like, "I mean, listen, like if you just if you didn't like if you if you were grossed out by dick, I would have been less of, I would have been less offended than that bullshit you just tried to feed me. <laughs> I can't really place it, but it feels like you have a lot of weirdly placed aggression towards women that I can't. I feel like you need to deal with that. Mashiro's just like, listen, they just aren't as smart as men. It's like, okay, I'm walking away from this. <laughs> He's like, all right, goodbye. <laughs> we'll see you next year, but I won't talk to you. You're not nearly as I don't like you nearly as much as I did literally five minutes ago. <laughs> Uh, I could reread your manga, but I don't know. I feel like we're going to see some really uh, uh, <laughs> some messages I didn't see before. I'm going to appreciate it a lot less the second time through. I'm going to tell you that right now. Uh, I will say I love the art in this chapter. It's absolutely phenomenal. It's it's really great. The the single page spread of Tepe just looking angry and determined is a fantastic visual. And although this does kind of feel like Bakuban with a different premise to me now, I still kind of like it a little bit better than Bakuban's premise as we kind of just went over. Uh, I don't know if I'm completely sold on everything here because mm-hmm. I was much more interested in a story where Tepe has to come to face with the grips that he stole this story. And now this seems to be like, well, this is actually kind of just more roundabout way for you to realize you like realize your own talents. So you can beat yes. her in a contest. And I'm like, that's not as interesting, but you know, we shall see. Yes. Um, <laughs> can you imagine if there had been like one message before all the explanation where the iron sand just spells out, I mean, I thought I would have to explain this to you way <laughs> earlier, but you just jumped for this. <laughs> you didn't even take a shot at it. It was weird. Uh, I, uh, by the way, I love the effects of the uh, the iron sand when it morphs out of the refrigerator and stuff. It's really cool looking. So oh, that'd be really funny. Replica Rapid say you should just steal Anima. That'd be fucking hysterical. If a new a new manga starts appearing with their new series, he's like. I could just borrow a couple ideas from here, too. <laughs> All right, Nick. Let's move on to We Never Learn. Question 165. Uh, pizza bet equals Sleeping Beauty of the Literary Forest, part six. So we're continuing along with the timeline as yep. we knew it. We're going to the, the winter retreat. Everyone's mm-hmm. skiing. Um, eventually, we kind of get there. We, we there's, there's a moment where, you know, Firmino's pretty shy about everything. I, I really don't want to kind of cover everything that we, we basically got last yeah, time there's, already. There's some recap that goes on here and also just some treading of a previous timeline. Yeah. So. 
Uh, but, you know, like, Uwego falls, Aruka shows up to help him, and Fumino's like, oh, right, well, it looks like it's gone well between the two of them, you know, I'm very glad. So, she, you know, she goes off skiing alone, uh, and then Uwego goes after her, because he's like, no, it's just, like, you, you seemed a bit blue, so I was kind of seeing what's up. And then Firmino basically is about to run straight off the course when Uwego grabs onto her. And they both kind of tumble off course and have to take refuge in, like, a cabin. And uh, they broke their phones. And it's snowing. Oh, Fumino broke her phone. Yeah, Fumino broke her phone. And they, you know, they're like, hey, we'll, we'll be all right, you know. But the cabin doesn't seem to be specifically built for multiple people. There's only one blanket, a small heater. It's kind of cramped. They're all wearing very wet clothes. So obviously the jokes are there. They have to gather together under one blanket, basically. And Uega makes a whole comment about like, oh, well, you know, I'm glad your ankle's doing better at least. And Fabino apologizes. She says, honestly, it was actually better earlier, but I couldn't tell you. And he's like, what do you mean? And he's like, hey, um... Apropos of nothing, <laughs> there's someone who's really been on my mind a lot recently, and I wake up in the morning and I can't stop thinking about them when I'm eating or I'm studying. I'm always thinking about them, and I I just don't know what this feeling is. And for me, it's just like, it's love. And she's like, you know, it's okay. I this is the role I kind of accepted by myself. She's like, it's love. You're in love with that person. Very much so. And she, in her mind, she's like, you know, I'm glad it's Aruka. You know, he deserves to be happy. And uh, he's like, love me? And she's like, yeah, mm-hmm. yep, that's all the advice I can give you. The rest is up to you. And now we have to go our separate ways. And he's like, oh, okay. And uh, we basically see the two groups, like, they get out afterwards. And uh, everyone meets up. And we get like a, a small flashback. And Iruka is relieved to see Fumino and hugs her. And Ogata goes, wants a udon because 99% of the world's problems can be solved with more udon, Chris. Mm-hmm. So. That's actually, uh, I believe Fauci gave that statistic out recently, <laughs> right? Uh, oh, instead of putting masks in our mouths, we're going to put. <laughs> if we just covered our faces with udon, we couldn't sneeze on anybody. <laughs> Has anyone tried this for the people who don't want to wear masks if they just got, like, feed bags full of, I don't know, whatever country-fied <laughs> bullshit that they want? <laughs> country-fied steak and, like, shitty eggs. what Whatever uh, Cracker Barrel <laughs> serves, I guess. You won't muzzle me? Oh, there's 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 Popeyes Oh, my God. Grits? This is... <laughs> um... I just tried to think of trashy food, by the way. I shouldn't have made that so uh, derogatory towards Southerners, because I'm sure there are a lot of people in the South who are I'm allowed doing to do the right thing. Okay, there you go. All right, there you go. <laughs> um, so we go back into the flashback, and we find out what happens. Um, didn't go the same way as the Uruka nope. route. Uwega <laughs> basically responds immediately, which he didn't do last time, and he's like, I'm sorry. I really appreciate you. But I have feelings for someone else, and I can't be with you. And Aruka's really happy. She's like, ah, whew, sweet. All right. Well, that's really good. Glad to have that off my chest. All right. Uh, everything's going to be the same, which is kind of an easy way to wrap it up. But Aruka's well, such a jubilant person that it kind of works. Well, there's a note where Yuiga is thinking about Aruka, and he's th- and he thinks 
she pretends she's not upset at all and acts cheerful, but that doesn't change the fact I've hurt someone I really care about. So he knows that in rejecting her, he has hurt her a little yeah. bit, uh, which is a nice bit of, you know, understanding because like they go so far back that he has that understanding of her, even if this isn't the version where they end up romantically together. So, yeah. and he does have a very important point where he's like, Hey, she, I, she, I've known her since junior high. She's always cheered me up. She's an important person to me. Nobody could ever take her place. So it's still establishing Aruka is this immensely important person, that even in this timeline, yeah. that he doesn't end up with her. And uh, then Fumito... She's so important to him that if he had fallen in love with Ogata instead, he would have never talked to her. Uh-huh. <laughs> Fuck that, that ending. <laughs> uh, so Fumito's heart's beating because she's like, oh my god. What's going to happen? And, you know, Uega's like, how can I tell her how I feel? And she's like, oh, I, I know it'll hurt. That basically still at this point where both of them are under the wrong impression, kind of, and just can't get it out. <laughs> so yeah. they end with, again, I want to spend more time with the person I love. Which is fine, because we're six chapters in now, I believe. So we're, yeah. we're wrapping up soon. Three chapters left. Um, one of the things that I do appreciate about the routes we've gotten so far, uh, although this one shares a lot of similarities in terms of timeline with the Aruga route, uh, the three that we've seen so far have told different feeling romantic stories. Um, I don't really know what the Ogata one was going for, honestly, <laughs> still though, but this one, uh, cause like the Aruka arc was very like romantic comedy kind of thing. You know, it ends with, you know, him chasing her down to the, to the, the, the station in order to confess to her and stuff. Uh, and then there's also that reflection on their past together and everything like that. This one is much more like Harlequin novel with all of the, like, you know, distant longing as they're, as they're like always like, Oh, if only I could tell him how I feel. Oh, if only I could tell her how I feel. And there's just a lot of, you know, like chapters ending with them looking off into this and it's like, Oh, if only. And so it's, it's very different feeling at least. So it was a pretty good chapter though. Yeah. So. Dr. Stone. Time to get stoned. Oh, Z equals 157. Same time, same place. So we were getting kind of a crash course on the history shared between Senku and Zeno. We cut forward to the night before humanity turned to stone. It turns out that uh, a lot of the research that Senku was doing on all of those petrified swallows and stuff, uh, he was actually sharing on the Internet and all that was getting shared between different, uh, you know, knowledge bases and stuff like that. Uh, labs are conducting experiments on stuff. And eventually Zeno is part of this big thing to for this secret meeting where they're trying to figure out what the hell is going on. Uh, we also see more experiments that Senku was conducting. And we see that he was actually working on this up until the point that Taiju came barging in. Uh, interrupting it, talking about, oh, I'm going to, you know, confess to Yuzuriha. And that's what he was working on gasoline for. Uh, the gasoline that he was going to, you know, supposedly feed him. Oh, that wasn't it. Oh, yeah. He was like, oh, yeah, this will make you be able to confess to her. And he's like, don't eat it. It's like, oh, it's gasoline anyways. <laughs> um, 
we see, you know, people arriving for the meeting. DARPA is hosting a tech expo in a national park. And we see that basically everyone that we have met so far in Zeno's kingdom is there. Uh, people in the, in the uh, discord were bringing up the fact that there's not any explanation for why Luna and her suitors are there. They're just there. There's no indication of like who they are, what their position is, if they're related to someone important or whatever. Stan obviously is, you know, military and he's got, you know, medals and stuff on there. And of course, Zeno is a super smart NASA scientist, but other than that, it's like, okay, well, they were there, I guess. So. Yeah. Uh, Nick, for these two characters, what, Carlos and something? Um, yes. You ever, remember how in Ice Shield 21, when they play another team, they introduce mm-hmm. like a couple characters on the other team yes. who weren't really important because they needed other people to react on the other team? The Gonzalez twins. Yeah, exactly. Not twins, these brothers. Gu- yeah, these guys are the same thing. We're like, they just have to exist. We need people to be able to talk on the Zeno side of things. We just need exposition to kind of get through our thoughts to be expressed. I guess. Because it would be out of character for Stan to be like, what's going on over there? Whoa! (laughs) Uh, I really love Stan in this uh, chapter, by the way. Um, Just because he's just like so cool and collected about things that are well beyond his understanding. Because he's just like, I mean, I know what I'm about. So, yeah. but, of course, they see the wave of light coming towards them while they're about to have this meeting. Uh, Zeno uh, sees it coming. Stan reacts, you know, military style, like, hey, you know, try and get behind something. It probably won't do any good, but you should at least try. And then he's actually the one who says, don't let your minds fade when the petrifying light comes. So as a result of this, he ends up actually getting a lot of people there to, you know, respond properly. So uh, even with it, when it's like very simple thoughts, when it comes like to Luna and her suitors, they just have very simple thoughts of like, oh, Luna's like, I'm Luna the capable gal. I'm I'm Luna the smoothest operator. So she doesn't let her consciousness fade. And her suitors are like, I won't let, I won't let Miss Luna die. And Stan's like, I'm a sniper. I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> And there's this really cool shot of uh, him petrified, leaning over Zeno's petrified form, you know, this protector uh, in this very noble position. Uh, by the way, I ship them now. <laughs> oh, you should. I, come on. You have to. It's so fucking good. It's, uh, th- by the way, beautiful pose between the two. It's so cool looking. It's like, yeah, Stan serves under Zeno in this kingdom, but like he's the fucking bodyguard who's got him uh, in a dangerous situation like this. So um, time goes by, rain falls down, seasons pass, stuff disintegrates, plants grow, blah, blah, blah. And we basically get Zeno having the same realization at the same time as Senku of I need to make sure that I awaken at the right time so that I can properly harvest crops and get stuff ready so that I will be able to survive when I wake up. And just like Senku, he counts the seconds until he's in the right season and the two of them awaken at the same time. And we get this narration saying it was not fate. It was not coincidence that the two of them emerged this way. It was the fact that both of them rely on science. The, re- the reproducible nature of science drew them together. And that's why they met. 
It's like, that's cool. Uh-huh. Science. So yeah. Nice job. Uh, yeah, so this chapter is good, I think, for the stand stuff in particular. I really, really enjoyed that. Um, the very end of it kind of just feels like a way to, to have done a more exciting finish to the chapter we kind of set up last week. We already kind of mm. see the parallels between those two characters now. Yeah. So I don't know if this was the best place necessarily for it, but it made sense that we were already in flashbacks. Let's do this one now. And I still appreciate it because, holy shit, it stands so much more of an awesome character now in my mind. Like, I, yeah. I'm really interested to see what happens now. Yeah, it seems like every time we learn something new about him, it's like, this guy's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know, from the first introduction, like, oh, here's this weird looking guy in the plane. And then, you know, the helmet splits open You see after you see him do stuff. And then it's like, oh, and he's just got this cool, quiet confidence about him. When Gen's like, how are you going to do that? It's like, I can do it. Yeah, but how are you going to do it? I can do it. And just, oh. I definitely appreciate, too, that they, they've made this kind of cool character who they've given quite a lot of feminine energy too. like we kind of talked mm. about it when we first were introduced to this character we all thought it was a female character and that hasn't changed yeah we, we we do know that stan uh is 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 a male character uh but still wears lipstick it seems still mm. has very feminine features and isn't any less badass as a result of it it's it seems like that's a, a really awesome part of it yeah all right mission yozakura family Pew pew, I'm boring. <laughs> um, I saw a bunch of people saying that this chapter was not as bad as normal. I don't know. I saw Kyoichiro all over it, and I was just like, <laughs> I mean, Kyoichiro is all over it. So, conversation. I, I, uh, Jeff, our, our our friend Jeff uh, of definitely Jeff Twitter account and various other podcasts, including Digimon podcasts, Poddigis, uh, Pod Poddigis. I was trying to remember the name and I failed. Sorry. Uh, he made a remark. That's why you uh, haven't been on it, Nick. No, you should be on it. That's right. Nick, if you're listening, put Nick on. (laughs) Uh, he made a comment about, uh, Sanji on there. It was actually very shortly after you had been making a lot of remarks about Sanji's perversion, how negatively they affect his character and stuff. And he made the comparison of, uh, you know, Mineta versus Sanji. And he says, like, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that Mineta looks ugly to people and Sanji looks handsome to people. And I commented saying, I think that a lot of what people don't like about Mineta at this point is just based on expectation. You see Mineta, you think he's a fucking pervert and you expect him to do something perverted and you're just constantly clenched up in anticipation of it, even if he never does it. So you just kind of are waiting to be grossed out by this guy. So that was kind of how I feel about this chapter with QHRO. I'm just so used to this, like stupid jokes about him being about him being a ciscon that I'm just kind of like, okay, here's Kyoichiro, here's Kyoichiro, here's Kyoichiro, and I never really broke out of that kind of clenched up stuff, even though it doesn't really come in this chapter. And he has literally just brought Tayo out on this fishing trip to train Tayo. On the other hand, this does nothing to uh, deal with one of Mishinuzukura family's many issues, which is they keep on doing this spy training stuff. Over and over and over again. And it's another example of that. So they have a fishing trip. Ty is attacked on the fishing trip. Uh, He beats up some random assassins. A freaking submarine launches a a torpedo. It turns out that the submarine is not just a random sub. It's linked to to Tampopo. So Tayo is sent to go and deal with it. Uh, He latches himself onto the torpedo and uh, he pulls his way up to it and disables the, the torpedo and stops it. 
And there is an admittedly cool shot of him floating up onto the surface, holding onto the torpedo. Is Rina Kyoichiro there? And hey, he's saved everyone and stuff. And so the, even the assassins who came from her are happy to see him. Um, the submarine, which is like a robot sub, okay, uh, is then attacked by the torpedo, which Kyoichiro has has hijacked. And the two of them like fly in towards the torpedo, uh, flying towards the submarine on the torpedo. And he uses his wires to cut the entire thing apart really easily because he's super strong. And that's it. Yep. I, I think you had a very elegant way of describing this chapter. I have nothing more to add. Cool. Awesome. Did you read it? Yeah, I know. I did read it. I, no, no, it wasn't. That wasn't a trick. That was. God, that's a good one, though. I should save that. No, I just thought you described it. I, I hadn't even placed the. Because you said Kyuchiro doesn't do anything in this chapter. But there's still just the fact that he's there creates a general unpleasantness that it was hard to pinpoint. And I thought yeah. you you explained it very well. Uh, all right, Nick, let's talk about Black Clover, though. Page 256, a captain's duty. So uh, oh, Dante's poop, power. Because it's about Yami, Chris. Oh, yeah, <laughs> man. Stumps. How fucking great would it be if that was the intention behind the chapter? <laughs> so, uh. Dante has powered himself up to 80%. And uh, Finro has a moment at the start where he's like, oh, my God, what should we do? We should do something. I should call Grigate. No, I can't do anything right now because if I do anything, he'll kill me instantly. That's how terrifying this guy is. He's truly horrifying. And there's the whole explanation of like, hey, devils share their power with their, their, their hosts through the underworld to this world. And unless we open the door to the underworld, we're never going to be able to use 100% of our power. So we know that they need the darkness magic and they need the world tree magic. So that's mm -hmm. where we're all here. Uh, Yami, or sorry, Dante fires off this, this energy attack. Gravity singularity, he calls it. Just a little black orb. And it, it flies by. Yami dodges it. But it grows and grows and basically just leaves a giant hole in a mountain after it finally like finishes its trajectory and it seems pretty crazy. He seems very powerful. Yami tries to strike him. He literally somehow uses his ability to warp darkness around him to avoid being hit. Yami's like, holy shit. I have to like, I have to put my mana zone as high as possible to even avoid not being hit by this guy. Oh man. And if I, even if I cut him, he'll just regenerate. So like, what am I going to do? I'll have to, you know, I'll have to be something faster, stronger with an attack with power or else. And, you know, he's just barely avoiding being hit over and over again. Um, there's another singularity blast that he I don't really know how he dodges. He's midair. I guess it just missed. But you can see it almost look like it took. It doesn't take a part away from him, but it's so close. You can see like the fringe edges of his skin look like they were about to be like ripped apart. Then he gets, it looks like it basically catches him from the ear all the way down his arm and yeah. kind of like rips the surface a little flesh off there because you can see him bleeding in the next panel. Yeah. So, uh, And then the gravity disappears and Yami gets crushed by a gigantic rock. And Dante starts taunting. He's like, you were terrific fun for a human anyway. And then Yami comes out of the stone and says, right here, right now. I'm going to surpass my limits. I'd be a lousy captain if I couldn't do that in front of my brigade members. And he condenses his mana zone 
and super condenses it even further. And Dante says, magnificent. But with that said, you can't defeat. And then La- Yami launches his attack. And Dante loses his entire torso. <laughs> he is just arms ahead and a pair of legs. And Yami says, oops. I was going for a thrust and it ended up as a cannon. So, it's kind of cool. I have heard that Tabata has been having health troubles recently, which Aww. adds to why this chapter is 14 pages, most likely, as opposed to the normal 19. This is a very short chapter in the grand scheme of things. And normally, I really dislike Black Clover because it it, it solves all of its problems in the chapter it creates them in. It's, it's just the way the series work. But because... We have just had two long encounters where the villains came out ahead. I actually think it is supremely cool that Dante is talking so much shit and then Yami just explodes him and just Dante be like, what the? Oh, oh, (laughs) like, I don't know why. I was like, this seems pretty dope. I don't know if he's going to be fully defeated, but even if he was, I still think this is a pretty dope moment. Chris, uh, pun not intended, but unaware of it something magical happened i read a chapter of black clover and i reacted exactly the way that i was meant to <laughs> this happened and i went oh fucking shit that's awesome <laughs> uh which we've been reading black clover for five years oh my god has it been that long holy shit 256 chapters means it's been at least five years and I have never had that reaction to Black Clover before where I was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, but, I mean, you see this Yami get put in this dire situation. And then he's just like, no, I can't lose here. And instead of doing some fancy thing where he, you know, like, oh, I covered myself in magic and I and I slashed a guy or I punched a guy. He just like, I'm going to put everything into this attack. And he thrusts. And Dante's body is gone. (laughs) It is such a great visual. It's just the floating head and him being like, oh. So um, Dante's still conscious. Yeah. So the fight's not necessarily done yet. Uh, In typical Shonen fashion, you know, it could very well get reversed in the next chapter. But this is a really cool uh, little sequence. I really love the way that just the... I don't know, something about the way that the sheer force of the magic that Dante is unleashing, distorting everything around him, holes appearing in mountains, is really effective in this. And then, yeah, Yami breaks through that and kills him. So it's very satisfying. I liked it. I like this chapter a lot. One Piece! Let's finish up with chapter 984 of One Piece, My Bible. Worth noting for anybody who's listening saying, well, isn't there World Trigger? There is no World Trigger this month. Unfortunately, Ashihara's health was not up for it. So we wish Ashihara the best and we can't wait to see more World Trigger next month. Not a good uh, week for news of Ace's favorite manga, is it? No, unfortunately Oof. not. Uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully all of the mangaka are able to, you know, rest in order to keep on doing their jobs that they love. Yeah. So, all right. 
we catch up where we left off last time in One Piece with uh, people kind of picking themselves up from the weird exchange that happened between uh, Page One and Yamato. Oh, pardon me, and Luffy. Uh, and um, I forget what the sis, sister's name is, the girl's name. Had Pachycephalosaurus girl. Um, uh, but, ulti. Uh, ulti, yes. You're page one and Ulti, yes. Uh, they're picking themselves up. They're both pissed off. Uh, Ulti says, because <laughs> she's upset that Yamato used uh, Kaido's Thunder Bagua. And she goes, Thunder Bagua? More like Blunder Bagua. Like, got him. <laughs> Nailed him. <laughs> like Yamato's running off with Luffy, you know, half a mile away already and suddenly goes, <laughs> Oh, that burn got me so bad. <laughs> Someone just cut me right to my core. So, they're upset. Uh... Luffy, meanwhile, has responded to Yamato dragging him off to try and have a conversation by trying to attack with his elephant gun. Yamato is saying, hey, come on, you know, hear me out about this. And Luffy's like, well, fine, I'll give you five seconds. And Yamato's like, well, I want to go somewhere else to give you the explanation. No! And fortunately, they're both so strong that none of the random people around them are able to do anything about this. Uh, Yamato remarks, this is only making me remember a battle from the past. And Luffy's just like, I'm going to punch you now. Uh, more, A little bit more from page one and, and uh, Ulti, but that exchange of blows between Yamato and Luffy kind of brought the roof down, so it seems that they were able to get away. Uh, we cut over to the performance stage. Uh, Orochi still has Momonosuke uh, trussed up on a cross, uh, and people are, you know, talking about, like, well, that you're, you're saying he came through the past? Is that possible? That sounds crazy. And one of them like reaches over, like, "Ain't that right, brother?" And it's Jimbei in disguise. And he's like, "Oh yeah, it's totally crazy." And Robin's there too, and she is also into it. Yeah, it's crazy, bro. Yeah. And uh, the two of them are like, "What should we do?" Um, but Jimbei says, "All right, the samurai will spring into action. We just have to wait." And sure enough steadily the samurai are kind of infiltrating the crowd. They're getting ready to blend in and strike. Uh, we cut over to the rear of the island into the submarine where the uh, Akazaya 9 are uh, all collected and stuff. Uh, not all of the Akazaya 9, but some of them are there, I should say. And uh, Law uses his room ability so that uh, he, they can make their way through the snow that's falling at this point. Uh, and then he exchanges them, them with uh, a bunch of boulders so that they can make their way onto the shore. And then the submarine descends below the surface again as uh, Law goes out and uh, several members of the, of the, of the, of the scabbers are there. And they meet up with Cat Viper. And Izo, of course, is there as well. And oh, Kiku is really is really happy to see to see her brother. Oh, they're reunited after all these years. Isn't this nice? Uh-huh. Uh, we cut to inside of uh, Kaido's castle. Um, he says something to Bao Huang. Okay. Uh, another character Nick's not going to be able to keep track of. <laughs> Bao Huang's not an important character. They keep bringing Bao Huang up, like Bao Huang is, but Bao Huang's not an important character. Don't worry about it. 
Kaido comes up onto the stage next to Orochi. He is flanked by Jack, Queen, and King. And he says, I'm going to liven up the execution of this tedious bride. This execution of a small child is too boring, Orochi. <laughs> Fireworks! Pyros! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> uh... But he says that he has an announcement. I'm going to explain the new Onigashima project. The crowd goes, yeah! So, okay then. We cut over to Luffy and, and Yamato. This time, Yam Luffy says, you get five minutes. And Yamato says, one day I told my father, I want to be Kozuki Odin. And he clobbered me. So I was... <laughs> But I was there 20 years ago at Odin's execution. I witnessed the Hour of Legends. You'll never see a greater samurai. And Orochi and my father killed him. I was mortified. But I was also inspired and I couldn't stop crying. I found Kazuki Odin's voyage journal in Kuri. It is my Bible. And my father and his crew don't know the journal exists. His grand adventure's life and very important things are written in here. And I believe all of them happened 100%. He definitely didn't cry when he left Roy Beard's crew. <laughs> <laughs> but he says, now that the Akazai Samurai dead, someone else must carry on Odin's will. And that's why I choose to open this country to the world. And Yamato throws down his mask. And Luffy's like, wait a minute. You, you said you're Kaido's son, right? Because it appears that Yamato is female. Yamato is introduced as Kaido's daughter, the self-styled Kazuki Odin, Yamato. But Yamato explains, well, Kazuki Odin was a man, so I chose to be a man too. And I can tell you, tell that you are strong, and, even, and you haven't even tried your hardest yet. You remind me of Ace. Of course, we knew that Ace had come to... Uh, to, the, to this place before, so not that big of a surprise that Yamato knows uh, who Ace is. Um, I think that this is our first trans man character in One Piece because I think that all the ones that we've seen so far are male to female. So uh, I believe so. I'm trying to think if I remember if I'm not remembering any characters from like Ivankov's group, but I, I believe yeah, I think so. Um, so this is really cool. Uh, I, I want to note that I, I think this is a tremendously big thing that Oda has created two trans characters who are horror characters in this story. And uh, Oda, look, no matter what your feelings on One Piece are, it, it's kind of inarguable at this point to say that he's he's not going to be the, uh, the, the Toriyama of the next generation. That people are going to be looking to One Piece the same way they look to Dragon Ball currently it's it's a very good thing i think to put these figures out there to help normalize this stuff and to to potentially hopefully in the future this can stop being uh something that strikes out as as crazy but could be something that could be enjoyed more <laughs> that said i'm so fucking tired of characters in one piece i really i i appreciate yamato and everything about him i am so fucking tired of new characters in this arc <laughs> i really am um, yeah, I think I honestly think that Yamato is a lot more interesting with this entire explanation introducing him. Uh, he's not just like Kaido's rebellious son. He's literally like 
rebelled against everything that Kaido has done essentially in his entire life because he would have been a kid when uh, that happened to uh, to to uh, uh, I've forgotten his name. Odin. Fuck. <laughs> Odin. <laughs> There's too many O names in this in this arc. Okay. Onigashima, oh, okay. Odin, Orochi, <laughs> old versions of characters that <laughs> yeah. didn't travel through time. <laughs> Okiku, <laughs> Otoko. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I mean, I now that we've gotten this explanation and this whole thing is like, well, yeah, I, I love, you know, I think that Odin was so cool that, yeah, I became a man too. So whatever, you know, it's it's the entire thing is really cool. And I also like the way that Odin's designed. I like the whole uh, outfit uh, that he's wearing and stuff. So mm-hmm. I, I like it. Aesthetically, it's great. I am just very tired of new characters being introduced in this arc to be relevant. I am very much hoping Yamato is the last one, and I'm sure he won't be. I'm sure we're going to get a lot more, but it, it definitely is something where I'm like, ready for us to just start having the characters we've introduced interact. We had started it last week or two weeks ago when uh, Ulti and, and Page One interacted with Luffy. Well, yeah, that's going to do it. Guys, thank you for joining us for Week of Manga Recap. Time to name our favorites and our MVPs for this week. There's a lot of good manga to choose from, I think. Yeah, so. uh, I think my favorite chapter of the week might be Black Clover. I think that it was a really fun chapter. I guess, as you said, like you, you got that really big moment at the end where you're just like, holy shit. Like, it's crazy. Uh, da, 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 da. It's weird because I'm going to agree with you and I don't, and it's not because we're both saying black clover, but it's, I think that it being shorter helped it. There's a roach crawling on the wall. Uh, I think that it being shorter helped it. Eat it and gave be- its power. Yeah, it, there was no moment in it. It's like, oh, it's, you know, less... Uh, I've got to kill this roach. Hang on. Okay. There's no moment in it where uh, it, it kind of takes away from the good do, elements. Do, it, so. do you want me to just give my MVP? <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> oh my god! Nick, you're not supposed to use a bazooka! I get it! I got it. <laughs> God. Uh, <laughs> Don't come into my house if you got six legs, is what I'm saying. So. Oh, shit. I was going to wear my millipede costume. Uh, I'm sorry. So what's your chapter of the week? Black Clover? Uh, it's going to be Black Clover. <laughs> and it's Black Clover because all, although there were a lot of good chapters this week, Black Clover is the one where it's just like, all right, here we go. And it doesn't, you know, there's no parts in it that are like, well, that wasn't as good as the rest of the chapter. Mm-hmm. I think that there are some moments in each of the other chapters that are good this week that aren't as good as the rest, whereas Black Clover was because it's short, solid all the way through. So. Yeah. Uh, my MVP this week, I'm going to give to Stanley from Dr. Stone. I thought this was a really great chapter that made me immensely care about a character that otherwise I had zero feelings on. Uh, so Stan was already kind of one of my favorites uh, in this new, new arc of Dr. Stone. I'm going to give mine to Satsuki. Okay. I thought this was a very strong chapter for her. This is a very Satsuki heavy chapter and she shines in a lot of different ways as a, you know, as 
a professional and also just as a kid who you know seems a lot more eccentric and wacky than she did when she was just being a brat before. So uh, the audience agrees with you. They have Satsuki as their MVP in their chapter of the week is My Hero Academia, which I can absolutely see. I think that was another really high contender. Cool. All right. That is going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap, everyone. Thank you for joining us here for my Roach snuff film. Um, <laughs> uh, I forget what I usually do when I talk about it. Uh, other episodes are available on uh, weeklymangarecap.podbean.com, iTunes, all that stuff. Thank you to our Patreon supporters. You lost great bonus content for you guys to enjoy. We just recorded a bonus episode last week. So that should be up soon. It's actually already and, up. So if you want to check yeah. that out, you can go check it out. It's up, it's up so soon, it's already up, Chris. <laughs> yeah. So so it's so soon to the future, it was in the past. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I, I usually have notes for this. I'm, 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 I'm spiraling. I'm spiraling. To Steve Van Artaro, just infamous planet. Infamous planet. <laughs> For the frame for the round the show. <laughs> Milo Jack Stillitz and Winston Chair for the theme song of Weekly Manga Recap and Ninja X3i, who maintains the spreadsheet where you can go on to and give recommendations for future manga for us to read. You can also take part in the MVP and uh, favorite chapter audience poll that is conducted each week and all sorts of other different tabs that he keeps track of because. I would never be able to do that. So you can also come over, come out and hang out in our discord where we talk about a lot of these things. Make sure to go check out our discord. Uh, we don't just talk about manga though. We do talk a lot about it there. There's also discussions about wrestling, about video games, about just all sorts of general nonsense. So go check it out. It's a ton of fun. Uh, I've been commenting in it and discussing things with people a lot more frequently as well. So uh, it's a good time. Go dig it. Yeah. All right. That's gonna do it, Chris. Uh, I can see the I can see the writing on my refrigerator telling us that uh, we need to uh, keep doing the podcast so that our friends don't die. Yeah. So. Well, did did it give you any warnings? Was it like you must kill the roach before it infects your clan. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there might actually be a message on there that says, "No, don't kill the roach." Oh, it'd <laughs> oh, be great. You get out there. It's like whatever you do, that roach is going to guide you to the future. It's just you, like looking at. I don't know what you hit it with. It sounded like an air Nipple. gun. It's, it was just. It's just that I hit it on the blinds, so it made a really loud rattling noise. Holy so. shit! I need to like make that my ringtone. <laughs> That's good to it, everybody. Have a good so one. Even if there was a message telling me not to kill it, I would have killed it anyway. <laughs> it's like no. That punk, that roach is the key to undoing the Kennedy assassination. It's just like, boom, all roaches, bad roaches. (laughs) 